What's good? It's Kelby Cannon, publisher of Megan the Magazine. We live at the office. I got my man, Tony Guidry. Been trying to get him to the office for the past 11 months. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, you may know him from uh, managing trouble uh, from his social media rants. Uh, Definitely. Always giving some good information to the people. You know, tell, tell the little people uh, a little bit about yourself um, outside of, you know, that... Uh, that that introduction that still didn't do you enough justice. <laughs> well, man, I'm I'm just um average everyday guy with a dream like everybody else. Um, and I've just been placed in a position where I can use the things that I'm good at to help other people. So, you know, that's that's the the best way to describe me. Um, it's not not being humble. Um, when I do have uh, gigantic accolades and things to brag about, I will be very vocal about them. <laughs> right now, we're just working, just grinding. You know, um, the majority of my work is with Trouble. I do some, um, some digital marketing work with some other folk. And just, just, just grinding, man. Just trying to stay relevant and moving forward. Okay. And I, you know, that's one of the interesting things. Like, the uh, it kind of... The whole concept behind making the magazine, like the reason why it's making it is because I always used to talk to people and they'd be like, you know, I'm trying to make it, trying to make it. And it's like, if you're trying to do anything, you accept failure as a possibility. And it's like, at any point, if you're really doing it, you're always making it. You're always in that. And like, that's why I say like, like your success is what you're doing right now. Right. Like success is taking trouble from zero to a hundred, like like you've done in the past, <laughs> you know, like because right. it is like uh, you know for those who don't who ain't familiar with Trouble's story, you know, expand a little bit uh, on Trouble uh, before you even came to the situation because like he he definitely had a, he had a brand and people knew him uh, in the city and I know there he he also had some other management before you came in. Yeah, see when um with the whole. The Trouble's whole story starts with duct tape, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Bang Black and Alley Boy, um, and Veli Sosa being the founders of that. Um, Black having the first big hit, he had the record Try It Out with Candy. The first record he ever recorded in the studio was a hit record. Trouble helped to co-write that. On the night that they finished writing the record, Trouble went to hit him a lick, mm-hmm. and that sent him to prison. So while Trouble was in prison, Black worked this record, Alley Boy came out, gained some prominence. The duct tape brand got really known in Atlanta and the blogs were picking them up and, and um, they ended up with a record deal with Atlantic Records. And so when Trouble came home, he wasn't part of that record deal, but he came home rapping. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, his first project, December 17th, for the day that he came home, um, the song Bussin' was mm-hmm. a gigantic record. He ended up doing a remix with Gotti, Waka Flocka and Trey, put him in a really great position. Um, and started pushing. He was managed by a kid named White Boy D at the time. Mm-hmm. And White Boy D is like a very visionary person. He's the, the brainchild behind the It's Time video and the Bussin' video and I Must Go Hard and all of these great visuals from Trouble during that time. Like, D was not only just the, man, the manager, he was also a visionary. Mm-hmm. And so during this time, Trouble saw a lot of uh, fan building and base building, but what wasn't being done was the monetization mm-hmm. of the popularity at the time. Trouble was 100% independent. He's affiliated with Duct Tape. He'd be Duct Tape forever, but at the time he wasn't contractually obligated to their deal with Atlantic. 
So he was shopping, just just um, entertaining other deals and doing things. And um, they ended up in a situation where they ran afoul of some other artists in the city. And um, that whole situation, I don't really want to talk on because mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of it. But it got him, it got him blackballed in a way. Um, I don't want to say blackballed. It just put him in a position where the tastemakers and the people who make decisions. They had a choice. They could choose to support the new kid who was coming up, a 21-year-old kid who was wilding out at the time. They could support him, who was an unknown factor, or they could support these artists that were the ATL sons. Mm-hmm. And so when they stuck with what was already working, um, this led to trouble kind of putting the rap game to the side, just focusing on himself and trying to get his life together and stuff like that. And I actually met him at the end of 2013, going into 2014. He was working with Nick Love. They had a great set of records together. Like Nick Love had, they got a classic album of music nobody ever heard. And uh, I ended up meeting with Trouble, meeting with the owners of Duct Tape, figuring out a way that we could all agree on uh, uh, putting the proper push behind them because it was something that Trouble had decided, he re-decided that he wanted to be an artist again. And so in 2014, we started working together. Uh, we ended up dropping the All On Me tape um, the end of 2014. Um, some nice videos. Got him somewhat seen. Going to 2015, Zay did. It really put him on a lot of people's map. Mm-hmm. We rolled the Ready record throughout the summer. And um, then, you know, him and Thug linked. Who, whose decision on, on the Zay did it? Like, because it is like, it, it, it's interesting. It's like... Um, Cause trouble does street music, but it's like it's either street music or it's classic hip hop. But it's like he took a classic hip hop approach to doing street music. That that let me stick with this producer. Let's get in here and get this chemistry going and taking that classic hip hop approach to doing street music. Like who who who's. Um, idea was that and how did that all come together well and and this is I would I would love to be able to claim sole responsibility <laughs> but I can't mm-hmm. and this is why Black Zay Tobin's number one fan mm-hmm. and one of his best friends is Big Bang Black from Duct Tape mm-hmm. Black can pull up at Zay Tobin's house with an empty terabyte hard drive and Zay Tobin will fill it up with beats from him mm-hmm. like whatever Black needs they're friends like that and so Black was always always been a proponent of Zaytoven as a producer, and he's already got his own accolades. But just me coming into the so it's none like the relationship in the movie. No, <laughs> the, the, the relationship in real life is what led to Black allowing himself to be killed that way. If they weren't cool, if they, they would have had to change the script or not finish the movie. So. <laughs> So yeah, and um, it just is um, like their relationship is great. Like they got yeah. one of the greatest relationships ever. Like they really, whatever it is that, that that Zay could ever want for Black, that Black could provide, it's a phone call away. And it's the same with Black and Zay. So um, in 2014, end of 2014, I'm in the studio. January 2015, matter of fact, I'm in the studio with Zay and a kid from Arizona, mm-hmm. a kid named Mickey Zolt. Okay. I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mickey's getting a couple of uh, tracks from Zay. I'm checking them out. And when they finish working and, and Mickey's recording and me and Zay are in the um, lounge area, I said, man, I wonder if Zay will do a tape with Trouble. I know Zay is from the east side. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I know that Zay and Black are ace buddies, and I know that Trouble has recorded over his music before. I just didn't know where they stood, but when I brought it up to Zay, he's like, man, that's overdue, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now, but I didn't know what Trouble thought about it or what Black thought about it. Mm-hmm. So I called Black and said, hey man, is it cool if, if Zay and Trouble do a tape together? He's like, yeah, you damn right. Mm-hmm. Hey, hurry up and get it done. So <laughs> then I called Trouble and I was like, hey man, I'm up here with Zay and I talked to Black and I'm wondering, bro, Zay, Zay would, he, he would want to do a tape with you mm-hmm. if you're cool with it. And Trouble was like, hell yeah, let's get it done. So um, we booked the studio time, and they went in. They did about forty songs. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, I somewhat facilitated it, but it was based on the fact that I knew how close Zay and Black were. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, even though I didn't know his relationship with Trouble particularly, mm-hmm. pretty much everybody that Black is cool with Trouble's cool. It's like a big brother little brother relationship with those two, kind of mm-hmm. like a, almost like a father son relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really believe that. That it wasn't that far a stretch for Zay, but Zay was a, a thousand percent with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's got a song on this tape, the um, one of the biggest songs on the Schoolzilla tape, and so on. And and whenever I've been trying to get Trouble to do another, Zay did. Mm-hmm. Zay did it again. Zay did it too. <laughs> and um, and Trouble's just been doing a lot of recording with a lot of different producers and trying new sounds. Mm-hmm. But um, the whole Zay did it thing really put him on a different level as far as because he was required to make better songs over the production that Zay gave him. Being that Zay is a legend and he respects Zay, mm-hmm. he wouldn't just do anything over Zay, Zay told me. And um, it was an opportunity for him to really shine mm-hmm. and show the people that, that, that might not have been listening to him but were aware of Zaytoven that he was capable of, of doing this. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's uh, interesting, that whole story is just that the the facilitation factor, the all the the pieces are already there and everything, but sometimes it takes an outsider to facilitate things or to see the, right. a certain level of objectivity, like, because everybody is just there ready for it. Exactly. But, you know, it, it takes it takes a catalyst at yeah, times. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's one of the things. Like when you know dealing with we talk about independent artists and um, a lot of times even with like on the other side with independent artists and small labels, they're doing the same thing. They have all the pieces there, but they lack that that catalyst to or some outside to be like, okay, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. Like. Even when uh, we did the interview with Nick Love and we was just chopping it up, just talking about how when they was doing music, they went and got a consultant. And they spent the money and they got a consultant. And he basically told everybody what they should be doing. And it was that consultant that told him, hey, you you do this. You you should do marketing. And Nick didn't even know what marketing was at the time. But sometimes it takes that outside perspective to look at a situation objectively and, and line the pieces up. Like so, you know that was Wendy, right? Oh, it was. was, um, Wendy, Wendy Wendy was instrumental in helping Nick start improving grounds Uh and and starting his own company. She um she saw early on that he was a star and really great at what he did, Mm -hmm. and was like, man, you don't need to just be working for people helping to do this. You should start your own company and Mm -hmm. charge people to do this. Mm -hmm. And so um and that's what happened. She texted me now. But um, and that's what happened with uh with, with Nick. I I wasn't around for that part of the mm-hmm. story, but uh, Wendy worked at CTE for a very short period of time when she moved to Atlanta. Okay. And that's where she met Nick and and everything else. But yeah, man. And um, 
with also I just want to say this also with Zay did it I just can't express enough like the appreciation for Zay yeah like for real we had the beat for Colossal from Future's album mm-hmm. I don't know if, if he had it first or we had it first but we had a record done to it um Zay was like, hey man, this beat, this beat, this beat, and this beat are taken. Mm-hmm. All right, Zay, no problem. And with the songs that we had done, he went to other more prominent artists and told them, hey man, this beat, this beat, and this beat, they're taken. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always happen. Like um, yeah. right now on Trouble's Scoopzilla project, we got a song, the Zay song, is a song that Juicy J recorded on. Mm-hmm. None of the it's never been released as a single by either entity and so it, it it wasn't of importance to Jay and them enough of importance to them for them to get the paperwork right and so um, we're in the process of getting all of that done now but Zay is just a factor in all of this at all times like people end up two or three people may end up sometimes with a Zay Zaytoven beat mm-hmm. and Zay's attitude is whoever makes the most of it is who should have it whoever decides to dedicate the most to it it's who should have it, but just overall, as a, as an individual with Zay, I just I just really can't express enough. But like, I call him right now. He gonna answer the phone. What's up, Tom? And this dude is a legend. Like, I'm always tripping off of the legends I get to talk to. Yeah, because he's super humble, great dude. Nah, like like Zay. Um, we actually he had, he had, we did a music Monday with him, and then he had sponsored with one of the Kill the Track competition, and we got we got to give away a beat to an artist who like we we actually that's the whole model that we do for the kill the track competition we'll get a beat from the producer and then we put it out there for all the members and they record to it and who makes the most of it that's right. who gets it and that's so that was kind of like the the whole approach that we did to the contest and and he's like he was great about the whole thing so like he's always like no one has Nothing but good stuff to say about Zay Tobin. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah he was like, some, now, I'm gonna be honest <laughs> with you. I know some artists that that had their beat used mm-hmm. by other people that that maybe went farther with the beat. Mm-hmm. That feel like they could have had a better rapport with Zay Tobin. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like with with with, with Zay and with speaking with Zay, I know it's not maliciousness. Yeah. It's just the fact that hey. He has a finite number of beats that he can create. Mm-hmm. He provides them to as many people as as asks him for them. And if a couple of people get the same beat, so be it. This guy might pay for the beat and then don't work it. Mm-hmm. Make a song and just drop it and don't work it. This guy may sneak and use the beat mm-hmm. and then push it as far as he can push it and he gets heard more than the guy who paid for it. Mm-hmm. And all they can do is straighten out the situation for the guy who paid for it, but he can't. It's, he can't subtract the work that this other person has done yeah. for the song. So it's um I know a couple of guys, a guy or two that that's happened to, and mm-hmm. um, and I just gotta listen to him right, you yeah. know what I'm saying, and tell him like, bro, Zay didn't mean to do that. Zay didn't mean for that to happen to you. You just gotta work harder. But and that well that that's also another thing to come back to, uh, and I guess it's more a general thing for artists, the working the records and, and actually investing into the project. Um, and let, we can jump jump over to that for a second. Like, I, I have this, like, uh, whole concept of when it when I deal with artists on the consultant stuff, and it's just like, my, the first thing I care about is just the budget. Like, 
I don't even care what your music sounds like. Like I and I, 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 and <laughs> I agree. I try not to be so mean to them yeah. because I deal with a lot of street dudes, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who take advantage. Mm-hmm. And so whenever the street kids hear what's your budget, they're like, "Oh, they're trying to rob me." Yeah. But you need a budget. Yeah. Like, okay, you're serious about your music, Mr. Street Guy rapper, mm-hmm. and. You got a bag in your closet that you're gonna use to promote your music. Mm-hmm. Fine, but how much is of that bag are you willing to spend? Mm-hmm. I don't need to know what your life savings are. I don't need to know what you got saved, or what your net worth is. Mm-hmm. But what are you willing to spend on your project? Because that dictates the way we move forward mm-hmm. in promoting and working the music. And I and I think that's the, the the like really the nail on the head. Like it's just that that. Budget, you you would think it's a four letter word when it comes to independent artists. Like, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, as soon as you throw that, you start talking about money, and it's just my friend, you know, mine is like, if you trying to work with someone who ain't talking about money, that's the last person you need to be working with. It's, it's, <laughs> and, and like, when we talk about money with artists and and, and the need for money, like. Um, the biggest misconception, the greatest lie ever told, um, such and such was singing on the subway or they heard <laughs> such and such rapping on the corner and then they grabbed him and they signed him and now he's got a great record deal and blah, 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 blah. And all of that stuff was just, all these things are lies. Yeah. Um, it, it, in today's music business, you know, the way things work today is, um, especially for those artists who have the misconception of thinking that being signed is, is going to solve all of their problems. Mm-hmm. You. In these days and times, you're not going to get signed unless you're viably making money on your own without the label. And so there's no way for you to make money without spending money. And the the music game is a numbers game. And I say this all the time. Like, if you got the greatest music ever and you know that out of every hundred people that hear your music, that 75 of them are going to become a fan. Mm. It costs something to get those hundred people to hear your music. And... 100 people hearing it making 75 fans which is totally unrealistic but just saying that you know because everybody says my music appeals to everybody and I got the greatest music ever okay you got the, the greatest music that ever is, that's you know, always you got you got you got God on the production and, and Jesus on the hook and there's no way for you to fail with this music but you still got to be able to present it to enough people mm-hmm. to make an impact and present it to those people costs money yeah and you know it's a it's a one thing that I always use like just explaining to like you know you had that aunt who who can cook her ass off who make the best peach cobbler okay and it's like the major labels are basically a bank she can't walk into the bank with that peach cobbler and say give me a loan to open a bakery (laughs) it doesn't matter how great the product is if you don't have the business apparatus to monetize the product then you still in the same situation as someone with a mediocre exactly so like but that's that's the whole thing like we um like even when we're talking about the that putting that push and having to set up a budget um what I, I always recommend for artists that I deal with is like 20 to 30% of their budget be for production. 
That's and the other seventy percent is for like so twenty thirty percent. That's beats. That's recording. That's everything. That's a good idea. So what what how do you how do you break it down like and I and that's why I try to talk percentages so then they can apply because they they a lot of times they don't want to put the fixed numbers they don't want to say I have ten thousand I have five thousand right but if you can give them a percentage that they can work with then they can go and do the math on their own by themselves. <laughs> Well, let me let me say this part about um, I've never broken it down that way mm. by percentage, like what percentage to use for promotion, what percentage to use for uh, uh, promotional materials, mm. and what percentage to use for recording budget and production. I've never broke it down by percentages. Um, like we had a conversation earlier, like sometimes the the because of the people I deal with and the clients I deal with, a lot of the numbers that I throw around, throw around are unrealistic to a lot of the everyday people that have a music dream. Mm-hmm. So um, I've never broken it down in percentages. I only, and I learned from Wendy Day. Mm-hmm. So in learning from Wendy, I, I got my own twist on what she's taught me, but at the same time, I know that we have to reach in order to be successful, in order to to to, to make some significant money. You got to end up reaching millions of people with the music. Mm-hmm. And in her world, the people come to her with the music already. Mm-hmm. Like this is the music we've done all we can with it, but we know it can reach farther. How do we make it reach farther? Mm-hmm. And that's when she comes in and she tells them the six-figure marketing plan, mm-hmm. and they decide if they want to spend that type of money or not. When we're dealing with people who may not have a dollar or or who's saving up tips from their job or whatever they're doing, like living paycheck to paycheck and just can peel off a few dollars here and there to try to save, um, I just just feel that the biggest thing for them to focus on after the quality of the music, the, the quality of the music is the foundation. If you're building a house, you're building, you're creating a building, you're constructing a building, the deeper the foundation, the taller the building you can build. Mm-hmm. So the music is the foundation. If the music is amazingly great, then you may be able to build a skyscraper of a career on it. Mm-hmm. If the music is in, <laughs> if it's you know mediocre, right. then you may be able to build a shack on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just depends. So as much as possible with the music. I let I allow the artists to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Like even with working with trouble, I never give him any type of two cents on anything that he's doing. Is is he has to create the music. He creates the music. He throws away a lot of songs. Some of them I like, some of them I don't. He keeps some of the songs that I don't like and some that I love. But at the end of the day, I'm allowing him to express himself without getting in his ear and making himself conscious about what he's creating. Mm-hmm. I won't, you know, he, he does a great job at being himself. He's not trying to be this other rapper or that other person. So I don't want to in, interject anything that will cause him to doubt himself ever. Mm-hmm. So I, I just allow him to move, and I believe in doing that with every artist. Um, and I really hate when the investment team or the management or anybody around is trying to tell the artist what to say or what to do. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I like to let the artists uh, uh, create the music that represents themselves. And, and when it's time to 
move at a certain level, when it's time to do radio promotion and things that cost tens of thousands of dollars, then we have to factor in production because it's going to be easier to get a Metro Boomin beat played on the radio than mm-hmm. it's going to be to get a Kelby and Tony Productions beat played on the radio. If the produ- well, I got some plugs at Radio 1 now. <laughs> But yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, because if the if the producer if the producers are not so I'm, I'm gonna say this though, like because what you're hitting on is a great point. Production versus the feature, like because production every time. And I just wanted you to say it out yeah, loud. <laughs> the, the the feature, man, and and I get people who just knowing me and just knowing about trouble, and they say, man, how can you not say about a feature, man? This dude got known because of the song with Young Thug. Mm-hmm. We didn't buy a feature from Young Thug. Mm-hmm. We worked our way into a position where Young Thug felt that Trouble was of enough relevance to do a song with him. Mm-hmm. And it's Young Thug's song. You know, like um, Trouble and Future got five or six songs that have never been released that they did together. Mm-hmm. They are future songs from future sessions. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask Future for them records. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hope that Future releases the records himself. Mm-hmm. Because if I release the record, then I got to work to get the record heard. If Future releases the record, the world is going to listen. But when you're talking about features, the part that people skip is that you feel like if you get a certain rapper on your song, that everybody that likes that rapper is going to listen to it. But the the thing that most artists miss is that the prominent rapper that's popping has a budget that gets his music heard by this many people. He's he's plugged in a certain loops and in certain in a certain position where people are gonna automatically listen to his music. Mm-hmm. But they're not gonna listen to it just because it's you with him on the record. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different thing. So guys spend their last dollar getting features and it frustrates me to no end. I got and one of my best friends in the world went and bought a feature and I told him not to. Mm-hmm. And um, he wasted his money on the feature and then he wasted his money at another platform and ended up spending thirty, forty thousand dollars for a record that didn't move. And he's, he, he calls all the people that didn't support the record haters mm-hmm. because he got the superstar rapper on it and he put it on this big gigantic platform mm-hmm. and then nothing happened. But... To build an artist, the, a big thing bro, that, I, that I noticed, a realization I made not too long ago is that with a lot of these um, new songs and new artists, when the song gets bigger than the artist, it's a recipe for, for failure for the artist. When the song is bigger than the artist, when the people know the song word for word and say, who is that? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's, it sounds kind of like the Migos. I think it's the Migos. It sounds kind of like, I don't know. Is he the, some, One of them dudes over there at QC, I don't know. Yeah, it, when, like... It's take Panda for instance. Like that was the greatest thing for a designer, for people to hate on him about that because you know who designer is now. Right. Like you know you've seen his name more from people designer think he future. Like right. so at least I know who it is instead of me thinking, oh, I think that's future. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So like, um, and, a, and a guy who suffered from this, and a dude that I really like, bro, but he mm. suffered from this was Cash Out. Yeah. Cash out stuff from this record was gigantic. It was it was YC. YC. Records gigantic. Their name wasn't affiliated enough with the record and they weren't out and about amongst the people mm-hmm. enough. See, uh, uh, being on BET 
and uh, being on MTV and, and being in these different places on these great platforms is great. But when the people don't know, mm-hmm. see, I was a promoter. I did did cash two cash out concerts in one night, mm-hmm. and I had a decent turnout. But it was uh, during the promotion process we had to tell everybody who yeah. it was. Yeah, you know, it would have been uh, as simple for me to promote guy who sings the cashing out record yeah. as it was to promote cash out. And so, um, and I, I, I like, I rock with Cash Out. Yeah. He's a good dude. But I'm just saying that he got a record that's an example of when the record is bigger than the artist. And so, well, here's it. And this is this is the thing. And it's and and I want your comment on this and your take on it. I think it's a, a lot of it gets into the insecurity of the artist. Like artists are insecure, rightfully so. Because like, and that's why I tell like people like. You know, when you an artist that picked out a beat and came up with a hook and spent money on a studio session and recorded this and, and, and this thing that they created that didn't exist in the world, they breathed it into the world. You say, you know, that shit that, that you did and you came up with and you did all that, that shit sucks. That's like a very personal rejection. Right. So a lot of artists put so much emphasis on the record and getting the record, I just want to get heard, I just want to get this record, and it's all about the, that's where you, I'll pay this DJ just to play it, because I just want to see people hear my record. Right. And it's like, I know that we struggle with this a lot with the magazine, because our magazine was always, my whole tact has always been brand building. Right. Who are you? People know your face. People know your story. Exactly. Especially when you don't got a lot of money. If you can't put 150000 into a record, put 150000 into yourself. Right. 25000 a year for six years. Right. But right. It, And that's kind of the, the, the thing where the, the, the artists, the same artists we talk about, they they didn't have like a PR campaign. Right. They, it was just all about the record, running radio, but there was no, like you said, interaction. There were no stories. There were no interviews. There were no blog placements there other than shoot out the new song. Right. But I have no attachment to who it is. Right. Exactly. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. Like um, an artist told me a long time ago, it's an artist from Louisiana, his name is um, Vicious. Mm-hmm. He's in prison right now. Vicious told me a long time ago, man. It's like first you give the people what they want, mm-hmm. then you tell them your story. Once you tell them your story, then you can feed them whatever you want after that because they become fans. Mm-hmm. And so, with that being said, it doesn't mean to copy when you say give the people what they want. And give them something that's current or give them something that they're accustomed to listening to it doesn't mean so much to copy what's going on but if if and there's no problem there's nothing wrong with being original and, and, and this is where me as a marketer cross paths and bump heads with the artists hmm. there's nothing wrong with being a thousand percent original but if you if I'm looking at the rap charts and I see that the top 20 rap records are between 90 and 100 BPM Mm-hmm. How are we going to work a record that you make that's 50 BPM? How is it going to fit into these other records that are being heard? I'm not saying that you need to auto-tune your voice. I'm not saying that you need to dab. I'm not saying that you need to do any of these things that other artists are doing successfully. But at the very least, we got to be current and, and contemporary mm-hmm. with what's being creative. And I don't mean to, to observe the, the norms. Yeah. There are norms. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily copying, but. Is just respecting like this is these are the times that we're in. Right, 
feel like when and, and every time a record breaks out, it sounds different mm-hmm. than everything that's being played. But it may not be a different tempo. It may yeah. be the exact same tempo with an entirely different sound. It may go from the super um, all techno fruity loop sounds mm-hmm. to live instrumentation. You know, whatever it may be. But the tempos are often like alike or whatnot. And, and, and this is just something that I pick up from uh, music industry execs who say stuff like, oh, Beyonce's whole project is kind of slow. Music is going to slow down over the next two, three years mm-hmm. because a superstar artist like that has that type of influence and yeah. impact on the whole industry. So, but on getting all the way back to the production versus feature thing, mm-hmm. like, I'm a real proponent of going in with a quality producer and getting a real solid beat and getting, you know, getting something a real solid track. And even with, these guys are too big now, but I've been knowing them for a few years. On Sunny and Metro, mm-hmm. when you can have these guys send you a beat, email you some beats for you to pick from. They, mm-hmm. they don't have a big problem with that if they know you. But when you got them in the studio with you, they help you to create the best music over their production. You know what I'm saying? All producers aren't like that. Yeah. And so, um, it's just, I would rather spend the extra whatever it is to have a, a, a whether it's from Southside or TM88 or one of these guys, done deal, um, one of these guys that's making solid, great music right now, mm-hmm. any of these guys, spiffy, any of these guys making great music, I would rather have production from somebody that's consistently on the radio, if that's my goal, mm-hmm. than from an artist that's on the radio. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's just, um, when we look at, you want Kevin Gates on the record, okay, cool. That's not going to guarantee you radio play. The producer won't either, but it gives you a better shot. Mm-hmm. The, the name recognition at radio, when you go to radio, when the PD gets your record across his desk and he sees such and such feature in future, he knows that you're somebody with enough money to pay future for a song. Mm-hmm. So nine times out of ten, you're some D-boy who dropped a bag on him after a show and his record is garbage. That's just how the PDs look at it. Yeah, that's how I look at it. Yeah, that name recognition, that feature means nothing to the real music fans Mm. or the tastemakers because they know that it was purchased. Yeah. Like, this was a a payout. And that's kind of going back to the... the, uh the insecurity thing, I think, if I feel like a lot of the moves are made more based on the validation. I want to be validated. I want, I want all them chicks who said I wasn't shit in high school to see that I got a record of future or to see me on the big box on World Star or whatever the 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 hood standard of making it in the rap game is at the time. Right. And it's like, cause it's it's done in lieu of having an actual marketing and a promotional plan. It's all haphazard, whatever the big thing is, and hopefully this will be it. Right, and that's one of the biggest things that like that I preach to artists is you gotta take some time to understand how these things work. We all know rappers that they might have been rapping since junior high, and they're in their 30s now, and they still rapping. It's nothing wrong with pursuing your dream that long. But believe me, if these dudes that have been rapping more than 10 years would have took six months to understand how things work, it would change their lives. Mm-hmm. But instead of trying to figure out how things work, they're chasing a the new sound, 
steady making the same type of music, stuck in the past or whatever, and doing the same things over and over that they're comfortable with that don't really reap results. But it allows them to say, it goes back to like with ego, like you just were saying, it allows them to say, I'm a rapper. Mm-hmm. I got my t-shirts, I got my logo on t-shirts, <laughs> I got my CDs out. I got a van wrapped. I'm a rapper. I got even got a chain with my logo on. Oh, I just joke about it. It's like it's like uh, playing house. It's like, yo, let's play industry. I'm gonna be the CEO. You be the rapper. Yo, where your sister at? She gonna be the PR. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly, boy. And it's so crazy now, like that. Everybody is a rapper. I got a record label as a producer. Listen, man. Every person that I Uber. I Uber from the airport with when mm-hmm. I didn't park in the airport. Every driver I had was either a producer, mm-hmm. a rapper, a videographer, or mm-hmm. on the label. Mm-hmm. Every I might have caught twenty Ubers in the past month, <laughs> and every one of them was in the music industry some kind of way. And um, and Wendy laughs about it all the time. The dude who delivers UPS to her house, mm-hmm. he's a rapper. He tapes his demo to the top of the box sometimes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so it's just like. Because there aren't any standards or, or, or prerequisites for saying you're a certain thing, mm-hmm. people often say that they're this or they're that, and um, and like I've been a I've been a victim of it, and I've been an example of it. Mm-hmm. You know, before I knew what exactly what was going on, I run around my chest out of me. in Louisiana. I'm a CEO of such and such. Yeah. I ain't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> I was one of the people. We had the T-shirts and we had some CDs. And I'm the CEO. I'm the boss. <laughs> but, but we weren't making no money. You know right. what I'm saying? And so, um, it, it, but it gets to a point where it's like, am I going to keep doing this forever this way? Or are we going to really make some money? And so it, it requires you to educate yourself. Like a little bit of education goes so far in the music business. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis from Strange Music with Tech 9 mm-hmm. he had furniture stores. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the part of the story that, and that's part of that PR thing. Like, they leave out a lot of the story. That's why I love what you do on Facebook because you you share so much of the story where it's not just here are the results and then people try to emulate, you know, just the results and think. It's because it's my biggest headache, bro. It's the, everybody wants the results. People mm-hmm. call me and, hey, man, I need this like this. And then I got guys, especially dudes where I'm from in Louisiana, mm-hmm. they look at some of the tactics and so they go and pay for those things that we get from hard work mm-hmm. and thinking it's going to get them the same results without understanding like everybody wants results without doing the work mm-hmm. like um just current project with trouble schools Zilla project um it's streaming tens of thousands of times a day it's mentioned a thousand times a day on twitter it's you know so many people on the records on the music and um the part that guys don't realize the taping out two weeks and we 23,000 CDs deep in the streets um, the, the QR code plays we got the download cards I think it's 40,000 of them we got throughout the southeast like it's not just a, a a natural buzz for the record like we got people putting up posters and all this stuff all over the place like it's a it's a it's a, it's a certain amount of work that's required you know what I'm saying? And our mm-hmm. last last two videos premiered on the big box at Worldstar. And uh, like the Ready Remix was on the top box at Worldstar for three days. Bro, I, I've been to Worldstar like twice in the past six months. And they was both to check out Trouble Shit. Like, I don't, like, but every time I see you pause, I'm like, 
Alright, let me go check it out. <laughs> no, World Star gets two million two million hits a day. Mm-hmm. And um the reason I'm so close to them now, like, I used to hate World Star. Yeah. I used to hate them. But I ended up gaining a rapport with somebody there mm-hmm. and I'm just through networking, gaining a rapport with somebody there and they told me, Hey man, we get two million unique hits a day. Mm-hmm. And if you can improve the quality of your videos, I like the star power of the artist. If you can give me a video that has a better production quality, I'll give you a look and then you see if it helps you. Mm-hmm. And so it went from, from them telling me that to us investing more money, maybe what it would have costed to get on Worldstar. We mm-hmm. invested that into the quality of the video. And so then Worldstar started picking up our videos and it got to a point where I serviced the video to somebody else once, mm-hmm. and the guy from Worldstar called me. Mm-hmm. Hey, we want every video. And if you give us the videos that you do first, we'll give you a big box look. Mm-hmm. This was based on Trouble being consistent as an artist and consistently growing his movement. Not just dropping great music, but cons- showing consistent growth. Well, equity. He exactly. has equity leverage. And that's I guess that's the kind of the thing with all the moves that that you make and they're the equity moves they're not expense moves like the production is equity the videos is equity putting the cds out in the street is all equity is adding to the brand exactly as opposed to just a specific record right and 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 with the production part let me say this i we've ran into producers who've demanded their payment Mm. instead of picking up their money from the streams and the looks that the records are going to get because my belief is that okay bro if you can forego a payment Mr. Producer for this beat then you're going to get your full publishing rights for across every spectrum on every platform like mm-hmm. Trouble um, streams half a million times a week on Pandora mm-hmm. over the course of his catalog it's like 480 to 520 it fluctuates and then he does um, some smaller numbers at Spotify, but he's got big streaming numbers also at um, Apple Music. He got amazing streaming numbers for an independent artist. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have a hidden major label record deal. Mm-hmm. Like some of these other cats I'm not going to mention. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's a lot of rappers. No, that, we... <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of rappers that, 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 have, um, that have a bigger look than we do, mm-hmm. but they actually have closet record deals. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, um, one of those that's been brought to life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and so, like, so when I, I try to tell the producers, like, bro, I'm going to be 100% fair with you. Like, if you make me pay you thousands of dollars for the beat, then we're just going to throw your record away. Because the thousands of dollars that you want can be used to get us to, for, used by us to reach more people. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to screw you on your money. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to prominently place you on all of the promotional materials as a producer and shoot me your ASCAP or BMI information. I'm going to register as, as uh, uh, to, for your full publishing for this end. Like, you know, uh, um, you know the songs have 200% publishing, 100% for the producer, 100% for the lyricist. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give you all of your production publishing all of it we're not going to take any of it we're going to do all the promotion and all of the work to get the music heard that's going to get you money and get you paid by other artists when they recognize that you made this banger Mm -hmm. so if you can take a long haul perspective with us then I guarantee you're going to make more than this thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand you're trying to charge me today and if you're demanding that payment I understand and I respect that I just I got Right now, I got 400 records from Trouble. Mm-hmm. So this project had 14 songs on it. 
you know, it's not a problem for me to scrap a record. Mm-hmm. And there's some very big producers that know that. Yeah. And there's some very big producers who are not tripping. Um, Trouble and Mike Will made it got a couple of records together mm-hmm. that um, we didn't put on this project. They were too big for this project, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, but Mike Will, uh, it's, they say it's three records. Mike Will wants two for his project. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You're Mike Will, take those. Mm-hmm. But on our end, he's not saying here's my bill. Yeah, you know what I'm saying because he knows we're gonna work the project to the fullest. So it's just a. Um, when you work hard at something, you build an equity for yourself. You build a value, and then you're able to exchange that value with other people, even if they know for a fact that it's not going to be equal. Mm-hmm. On the School Fresh Project, Trouble got a song that samples Madonna. Mm-hmm. The clearance cost is zero. Mm-hmm. Because the label is looking at the possibility of signing him in the future. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you're not... Um, actively marketing this strictly for sale. You putting it up on the free websites as well as the um, the for pay websites. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. If this reaches a certain threshold, then we'll re- we'll rehash it. You know, that's the we have a conditional clearance. Okay. But but it's just if Madonna don't give a damn, and EMI, Virgin America don't give a damn <laughs> about us using, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The one of the most iconic pop stars ever. Then. How is it that... No um, comment on the Billboard Award uh, performance. I, I didn't see it. I heard about it. Like, I, I didn't see it. I heard a lot about it, but I was just like, Madonna doing the Prince tribute, like, that just didn't sound right to me, so I was just like... And you know, it's crazy. I was wondering, um, it was on Instagram or something when the chair spun around and mm-hmm. she was sitting down, and I glanced at it on my phone and couldn't see the face, and I thought at first, is that Taylor Swift? <laughs> Like Taylor Swift doing the Prince tribute. Like, no, Madonna, you can't do the Prince tribute, Madonna. But, but okay. So I'm gonna ask you this, bro. Okay. Why don't you take all of this wizardry and do it with a producer? Like, I'm a very firm believer that it's easier to do this with a producer because you can have multiple projects running with different people. Like and for me, I just feel like the production game is all about branding. It's like, it's like you selling the tag more than the beat. Right. Like once you once the quality is to a certain level, like it's only so many ways you can make a shirt, and right. the same way with a beat. Right. Like it's like you know you're gonna have some drums and you're gonna have some melody. Like right. once you get too far off that path, then it's not a beat anymore. Right. right. <laughs> so it's really so much of it is about that. Hearing that Mike Will made it, or Zay Tovin, had knowing that 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 tag that who, who is from, that right. brand recognition. Right. Now, so, as far as me working with a producer on this, um, let me preface this by saying this part: I never wanted to work with artists. It was never meant a part of nothing that I was doing. Oh, I remember every time I say something. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I don't manage. <laughs> exactly, man. Like, I, 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 it's just, man, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I I don't have the temperament. Um, to really deal with artists mm. uh, I got to really like a person the reason I managed trouble was because I was around him he's an underdog he's a dude that that at, at his age and through the things that he'd been through I could see myself going through and I just really wanted to help him um, I never asked trouble if I could be his manager I never uh, uh, pushed up on him for management I was supporting him and what he was doing and just intrigued at the process of him making music 
And I ended up with one responsibility that led to three responsibilities that led to him introducing me as his manager. Now, once he started introducing me as his manager, I had to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, but I don't manage any other artists because I'm really not interested in it. Like, to be honest with you, like, um, um, and I don't know how to juggle what I do with trouble amongst several other people as far as artists. Now, with producers, the growth of the trouble's growth has taught me a lot about people and about the business. And trouble teaches me a lot every day. Like, I'm not the genius and he's the dummy. He teaches me stuff all the time about the business, whether it's from an experience standpoint, because he's inside the business. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when I have ideas, he'll be like, no, man, that's not going to work because this and this and this. I'll be like, wow, okay, bet. Or I'll say, hey, bro, this is what I want to do next. And he'll be like, nah, man, I don't want to do that. And he may not even explain it to me. And I may walk off and be like, man, this dude don't understand. But as time passes and I see, I'll be like, oh, wow, that's why you didn't want to do that. He's like, yeah, bro, I figured you'll figure it out. You know, and, and so in saying that, in working with trouble right now, it takes up a lot of my time. Because I'm learning, we're reaching new plateaus every day, and I'm learning how to maximize different things for him, and so it takes up a lot of my time. Trouble and I have a plan together, to uh, a plan to open up a company together. That company was initially uh, to be a management company for other artists, but we've we've switched it mm-hmm. to actually working with producers. Um, the folks at the the kind folks at Three Hundred. Mm-hmm. Through Atlantic and Warner Chapel, have not so subtly let it be known that they're interested in signing producers that are making some of these great records for artists out of Atlanta that get heard by a lot of people but aren't monetized. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying that if this guy can make a record for a Yaki or this dude can make a record for a B Green. Oh, this dude can make a record for a Big Bank Black. If these dudes can make these records for these artists that get these artists heard, this guy make a record for a trouble that gets heard, then what if we put him, put his production with a Fetty Wap or with a Young Thug or with the Migos or with a J. Cole or whoever? What if we put their production in these places where it can be monetized? Mm-hmm. These guys are making zero from their production because it, and it's amazing that a lot of these guys don't even have their performance right stuff straight. But you know these guys are making zero, so let's go in and Tony, if you would help us, find us a couple of producers that have a decent catalog, and we'll work a co-pub deal with them. And you know you put the company together, you bring them into your company with the guarantee that we're going to sign them. And so it's kind of like it puts me in a middleman position that I don't like being in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can be 100% transparent with the producer and say, hey, bro, I can get you signed Warner Chapel Publishing. It's the biggest publishing company in the world. Mm-hmm. The only way that I they can... They don't have your birthday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, the only way I can make that happen for you is you got to sign to me, which makes it seem shady. Mm-hmm. But and, and when I haven't signed one guy yet, because I got the lawyer making the contract that says, if I don't get you signed to Warner Chapel, you can leave. Mm-hmm. You signed to me for nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not paying you to sign with me, but you're gonna get a check from Warner Chapel. 
Mm-hmm. When you get for the check from Warner Chapel, that check is for you. Kick me down a small percentage, and then the rest of your business is done through me and Warner Chapel because they don't want an individual relationship with producers. They mm-hmm. want a relationship with a publishing house, so they're trying to get me to create a publishing house, and that's what Trouble and I are working on right now together um, as partners. So I'm working towards that with the producers. Um, to, to work with the producers in that fashion. And I shouldn't have said this in the interview because now I'm going to have a thousand producers asking me <laughs> to get the co-pub deals. But Listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Not that many of them are going to make it that far into the interview. It's probably only a select few who really, really want to... Like, you who are listening right now, y'all serious about this shit. Y'all, yeah, those are the people who are listening right now. Right. The people who just looking for a quick fix for something, right. they're going to fade off after five minutes. Right. Like, they're going to be like, uh, okay, I'm going to check him out on Facebook. But right. So you're going to get some quality people right now. Cool deal. <laughs> and if, if you're a producer with a decent catalog that's listening, um, it's Tony at IamTheConnect.com. You can hit my Gmail. And um, and we can have a discussion. Now, I ain't tell you to do that. Now that now it's gonna get copied into the comments, and people gonna just. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so, so, but now, so like, so the publishing. I think that's one of the things what what you were just talking about that really interests me is the really the dynamic between you and Trouble, and uh, I think it's. Uh, Refreshing because a lot of times, like with this in the industry, like everybody just, um, just it's so magnanimous. Everybody wants to be bigger than life and have these grandiose views of themselves that they can't learn from other people or they can't take ideas from other people. And even with you being the manager, to be able to listen to your artist because he has experiences outside of yours that that can add to add to what you do. Right, well, and, and this is a kid who knows exactly what he wants. This young man knows what he wants out of music. He wants to be able to provide better lives for his family and his loved ones, and that's really his priority. Like, um, I know from my personal interaction with him that one of the cars he wants to own is a Ferrari. He's not going to buy a Ferrari before he buys his mom a house, though. And that's, just, that's another one of the things that makes me really work harder to help him reach the, the, the place that he wants to reach. But he knows what he wants to do. And so with him knowing what he wants to do, he has his own set of ideas and, and insight on how to get that done. And it's up to me to tie his insight and his desires into what's capable of being done and making it happen. Even if sometimes I don't feel like, I may feel like it's not, like, that's not really possible sometimes, but he'll place himself in a position to make it possible. You know what I'm saying? He's never asked me to do something for him or to create a situation for him that was impossible. Every time that he wanted to do something, he placed himself in a position where it was advantageous for whoever I had to ask or whoever I had to deal with for them to, to, to work with him on that. So um, in, in, in dealing with him, is it's like a partnership. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't tell him what to do or none of that. You know, it's, that's, I know a lot of guys as managers, they feel like they got to tell an artist what to do and they babysitting and all of that. And that's not a piece of the dynamic with me and dude. I would have, you know, we would have fell out a long time ago. Like, he's a grown man. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows exactly where he's headed. And it's my job to assist with that. That's um, something that Blue Williams has taught me. Uh, the best, probably the best manager in rap period, and and and, and 
it's our job to amplify and help the artists create the vision that they want for themselves. And as long as they're working towards it, then we should be able to do our job. And one thing about Trouble is he's always working towards it, like, and, and always. And he just got on my head the other day about me not doing some of the things that I was supposed to be doing to further his career. And he was right. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, bro, you're right. And they're like, hey, man, what happened with this? What happened with that? We used to, we're accustomed to doing things this way. Why haven't you done that? And it's like, man, I was slipping. <laughs> you, know, you, call, you call me slipping. So, you know, and uh, as much as the things that I ask him to do, then whatever it is I ask him to do, it damn near always gets done. When he doesn't, I've learned now that when he doesn't do something, it doesn't matter what I think about the why, it's always a decent reason behind it. Always. And like, even when I want to say, man, this dude don't understand what's going on. It's always it'll just come back around and it'll it'll make sense. So, but but that dynamic with me and him is just a, I consider it a partnership. Yeah, that's what it sounds. Co-pilots in a career, like, yeah. And I think that's that's um, that's a rarity. Like like from from on this level, especially with independent like artists. Um, to to have that dynamic where it's a it's a give and take um, in, in a sensible manner, like because he, you know, from from seeing how he moves and from watching what you have going on, he has uh, he has developed like from that time a, a good business acumen. Most definitely. So, and I think that's um, even what we talked about with just um, the more seeing seeing success from. Being able to be flexible in certain areas, and um, like that, could you speak to that? Because I think that's one of the things. Like a lot of like independent artists, the the the, the rigidness of trying feeling like it got to be a certain way. I got to be a certain way, and and not learning when to bend, and ending up breaking. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and with that, man, it's like. In the beginning of working with Trouble, I was always worried about that, mm-hmm. about his stiffness. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is like, this isn't a, I rap like I'm from the streets, dude. This is a real live street dude. Mm-hmm. So, um, complete with everything that goes with it, um, including the, the trust issues, the um, the suspicions of certain people trying to be helpful, things of this nature. You know? So, in, in, in dealing with him and interacting with him in the beginning, when I first started interacting with him, when the phone wasn't ringing at all, like no shows at all, he was real stiff. He was stiff about doing promo shows. He was stiff about, super stiff about his price, which I felt was too high for features and for um, performances. He stood people up, including you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and, these are things that he would never do. Like, if he were to listen to this whole thing, he would pull me to the side for even bringing up that he stood someone up because it's something he's never done. Mm-hmm. Ever. He did it one time. And I really believe that he just got caught up doing something and because I wasn't in town, it slipped his mind or something. But I'm saying all that to say, at that point in 2014 and 2015, when he was regaining his footing, 
he was extra stiff. Mm-hmm. Now that he's on the trail and on the path and got a steady flow going, he's more flexible than ever. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if I ask him, man, can we issue a discount on your price? Can we do a discount for the month of June on your price so I could load up the calendar for you? Let's load up the calendar. Let's knock the, let's knock the show, show price down 25% off. Let me call back all the promoters who've done shows with you and let me get him a 25% discount. And he'll be like, well, man, what's that put my show price at? And I'll be like, well, at this number. And he's like, man, I was charging that four months ago. I don't want to go back or something like this is just for a month. This is to load the camera, load the, the calendar up so I can bring the cameraman out and we can shoot maybe a mini doc and, and just try to get a better look for when we move forward with the next project or the next single. We'll have a bunch of content of how people go crazy when they see you. And whatever my reasoning is, if it's valid, mm-hmm. he'll ponder it and say, all right, bro, let's do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a point in time where any offer that came through, I would have to immediately call him and ask him, is this okay? Even if it was a full price offer, if I if I delivered him the deposit for a show that I didn't talk to him about, then we would have an issue. Mm-hmm. That's how it used to be. But now I'm able to use my discretion and deal with these promoters in a way where I know that in Sumter, South Carolina, I'm not going to be able to get the same price as Miami. Mm-hmm. I know this, so um, so we, we we interact in this way, and. When I when I bring it to trouble and he gets his direct deposits or, or his wire transfers for the for the um, deposits for these shows, he'll call me and be like, "Hey man, what's this for?" I'll be like, "All right, man, this is for this show on this date, and for that show on that date, you you get you got your money, you got one, your money for both of those. Okay, I'm gonna put them in the calendar. We're gonna do the drop. It's just like okay." You know, even throughout the expenses and everything, like when he looks at the spreadsheet for the expenses, um, he, he, he looks at it, he makes sure he has an understanding that we move forward. Uh, and this is for five times the money we were making six months ago. But six months ago, when he would see the spreadsheet for the expenses, he would go through every last single one and double check the addition and subtraction on his phone to make sure that every dollar was accounted for. But, <laughs> but now he understands and he looks. And if there's anything in there that I slip in for stuff that we need to do, mm. he notices. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no stealing from him. Yeah, it's not not a not a twenty five dollar expense. He's checking, but if and if I say, man, like, um, for example, we got a show in St. Louis and we're trying to route through Cleveland. So, um, from St. going from St. Louis to Cleveland, we may take a rental car. Mm-hmm. And so initially, the rental vehicle for St. Louis, the promoters taking care of it. Let's say it was 150 bucks, mm-hmm. but and that's the way we discussed it in the beginning. But now we may pick up a show on July 3rd that's in Cleveland, and now the, the rental vehicle being dropped off in Cleveland mm-hmm. makes the price of the rental vehicle 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says, like, "Hey, with this Cleveland show, what's up with this 400 rental car for one day?" <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So he's aware of what's going on, but I'm, I'm saying all of that to say that the more successful he's become, the more understanding he is of being flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's for radio shows, whether it's for promotional events, uh, we're putting together something with a couple of radio stations now to give away something for the kids and have him go out and interact with the kids. And he's just more flexible than ever. This is something that creates success. One of the greatest examples of artists that know what to do when releasing the record is Till. Mm-hmm. It's T.I. 
See, I goes to all the radio stations, every radio station he can possibly go to every time he releases a project mm -hmm. and interacts with the people that are going to play his music and makes himself accessible to the fans. He does this for every project that he does. Um, at his peak, when he was selling multi-platinum, um, at the beginning, when, before he was even going gold, so after he's come home and, and gone through his other stuff and the music industry is entirely different and everybody doesn't sell as many records, he still goes out and he makes himself accessible to the people and keeps himself relevant. Mm -hmm. He's one of the greatest examples. And um, there's such a comparison between Tip and Trouble is, is crazy because they're both kind of like, they're both alike in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 not 100% alike, of course, yeah. but they're both alike in a lot of ways. They're both hustlers, and uh, they both really want to be successful, and they're both going to take care of their families and do what they need to do to be successful. Nobody's going to hinder that success. Man, interesting thing you brought up is, and I think it's something to touch on, is street, being a street cat. Right. And it's like, um, we're doing consulting, we're doing the magazine. It's like one of the big things that I always did, um, and I always try to use to keep my prices down, even for the street cats, because it, like, it sat with me wrong. Like, people, like, I know a lot of promoters who just, like, who just try to rape artists, especially if they feel like a street nigga, like, he got money. Like, like whether it's $1,000 or $10,000, it's their money. Right. And, that ten thousand dollars, even if it came fast, like the chances a nigga took to get that money, exactly. Like you gotta equate that into the factor. So you want to give them just as much, just like if it was someone who had a nine to five. So it's so many people that target them and right. and, and 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 to rip them off. On top of coming from the streets, like there are a lot of trust issues no with, with dealing with with those type of individuals and like. How does how do you feel like about that? Like even being able to to you know you you coming from where you came from, right? Like how how do you adjust to getting into into the music industry because it's a team sport. Like you 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 can't win this shit alone, right? Well, and and, and with the with the street aspect, what I found with a lot of people is they're not really street people. Mm -hmm. You guys, I'm talking got, about the real ones, though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so few street guys in the mm -hmm. music industry. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, be, because the street dudes understand that they got to stop getting money in the streets before they can start messing with the music. The real street guys. They got to shut down what's going on in the streets before they start with the music or they're going to go to prison. They're going to put a spotlight on themselves with their money. And if they're still doing something illegal then the music part is going to highlight and show what they're doing illegally and sit on the prison. Mm -hmm. So the guys who are really street guys, they shut down, they got to shut down, and it's just, it's, it's, you got dudes who sell drugs or commit crimes, but they're not really street guys. Mm -hmm. They may be criminals, mm -hmm. but they're not street guys. So in, in my experience, I've run across, like for every real street guy I run across, I run across 10 dudes from the streets with money. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying, and I differentiate them because I'm a street dude, mm -hmm. you know, or a dude from the streets. I'm not the, the <laughs> tough guy, or whatever. But you know, I diff I'm able to differentiate them. So there's a difference between a guy who will go out here and get some money, but it's the reason he's getting the money is to go over here and show off the flaws. Mm -hmm. Whereas you got this guy over here who has to go out here every day and get this money because 
his grandma don't have the proper housing plan and his mama was a drug addict and his daddy's homeless and his sister boyfriend beat on her and he got two, three kids. When you got a guy that's in that position that's feeding his whole family, he's obligated to the streets. He's really in the streets mm-hmm. and he got to make this other stuff happen. And those guys don't often stop making their money in the streets to take the pay cut to get in the music industry. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them guys, they're not, they're not about to do that. Mm-hmm. They, they may inquire about it and, huh? Oh, it costs, okay, 150000 to do this part. Okay, bet. Now, how I get my money back? 18 mm-hmm. months. I am not laundry. Mm-hmm. I'm not tripping. I'll go, go open five laundromats and wash this dope money. I'm good. Mm-hmm. So, but in, in dealing with the guys with the, with the street money, because I, I get inquiries all the time, like every day, and, and, and for, for me to help them with their process, projects and with their progress. But what I've noticed a lot, is it goes back to the results. They want the results without the work. They feel like because they got a bag, they should be able to drop the bag and there's a magic button that I can go home and push and, and that does everything for them. When they don't understand that um, this whole concept of pushing the button on a record that the major record labels do also comes with you relinquishing 90% of the ownership of the record. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I don't ascribe to. Now, we keep 100% of everything that we do so that when your favorite artist sells a million copies and we sell 10,000, the, the money is almost the same mm-hmm. because of what we do. Now, the recognition is not the same and the popularity is not the same, but at the end of the day, if the artist wants to make a living from music, then the way that we go about doing that is monetizing the music and making the music make enough money for them to live off of and provide for their families. Whether they ever see a Billboard Award or MTV Award or whatever, it's not of importance for me. Now, if the artist express, express to me that it's of importance to them, I go out my way to try to put them in a position to be seen on those platforms. But the main thing for me is making the money. Mm-hmm. So. I get to deal with the street cats from a perspective of making the money. This is what we're going to do to make the money. What about the release parties and when I get to pop the bottles in Miami? And when it, Listen, man. You want to pop these bottles? You want to spend four or $5,000 in the club? That's money we can use for your marketing and promo team. You know what we could do around an event with this $5,000 over a weekend? Like, you want me to go and find somebody to pay to put you on birthday badge mm-hmm. and put you on the show with uh, Trouble and Thug at Mansion Elon and put you on the show Friday with whoever with Tip at this event and put you on a venue Sunday with Jeezy at this event. You want somebody to, want me to find the people that you can pay for all of this so you can be on the stage and look important when I can take all that money that you want to spend on all that garbage and that trash, that BS and put a hundred people in the street mm-hmm. making sure that your music get heard by the hundreds of thousands of people that are going to descend on the city for that weekend so it's a it's a, it's a difference like I know people that sell they sell that dream yeah. to these guys you know every day of the week you know we're going to put you in the VIP here and this is going but that doesn't benefit your career you're spending thousands of dollars to be seen and heard by hundreds of people Mm-hmm. And then they don't know who the hell you are. When they leave, they don't have no clue who you are. You know what I'm saying? And, and like we had the um, conversation with Brad, and Brad and I got different perspectives because mm-hmm. we do different things. Mm-hmm. Like Brad breaks records to crowds of people. Mm-hmm. He 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 rocks crowds for a living. Brad is a 
a, a necessity mm-hmm. in the business of music. Period. But I don't pay for for what he does. Mm-hmm. I try to earn my, my position to have a person like him break my record because I don't have the resources to determine who's really a record breaker and who's just bullshit. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. You know, we can't pay every DJ. Yeah. And, and I went around the South explaining this to DJs, having meet and greets with them, feeding them, and explaining to them, okay, fellas, there's 25 of you in the room. You know, if all of you want $200 to break a record, Mm-hmm. Okay, fine and dandy. That's five grand. It's not too much to break a record, right? But I got to go to a hundred more cities. Mm-hmm. I got to go to a hundred more cities just in the South. Mm-hmm. That's half a million dollars. And y'all already know, half of you already know that's in this room that you don't DJ in no nightclub, that nobody pay attention to your mixtapes. You just a dude with some DJ equipment. Mm-hmm. Trying to hustle somebody for mixtape slots. We know you know who you are in this room. I don't know who you are, <laughs> but you know who you are in this room, and I'm not dissing you. It's maybe two or three guys in here that really break records, and maybe ten or fifteen guys in here who want to come up working towards being a record breaker, mm-hmm. and then it's five or ten of you that are just douchebags eating off the land. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's who, but I can't pay none of y'all. All mm-hmm. all I can do to find the five. Exactly. <laughs> all I can do is do my work and build up my fan base for this artist so that when the people start asking for the record, mm-hmm. they're asking the record breakers and eventually the record breaker will start playing the record. And you know, and, and so in that manner. But I think that's funny, like, because I interviewed Scream and it was like on the same thing, just how humble he is, but it's just that he doesn't like I always felt uneasy about taking credit for somebody's success. Mm-hmm. Like, because I understand, like, what I was saying in the comment, it's mm-hmm. just so many conditions. You could be the match, but it's so many conditions that have to come into play. Right. And that's the same thing that Screen was saying, just like how he could be the first person to play a record, but he's not the person that broke it. Like, because it's Scream so much stuff. Scream is just humble, man. Yeah. Scream is just humble, but Scream also understands that it's not just the DJs that make a record popular. Mm-hmm. You know, DJs are a necessity, but man, and I'm not trying to piss off none of the guys that are DJs because I need every last one of these guys that play records to help us break these artists. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not dissing DJs, but it's not just the DJ. It's not just me. Mm-hmm. Trouble success is not from just me, and it's not from just him. It's not from just the music. It's not from just the blogs. It's not from just the videos. It's not from just Worldstar. It's a gumbo of all of these things prepared in the proper order. Mm-hmm. What is gumbo without okra? Gumbo. <laughs> I don't eat okra. So you don't eat okra? I don't eat okra. Oh, no. man. So, 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 you I, eating soup. No, I ain't gumbo. <laughs> I'm from the home of the gumbo. So you got you got open gumbo, you got chicken and sausage gumbo, you got seafood gumbo. Mm-hmm. And so you know, so but that's, that's yeah, but I don't know. You never had open and See, gumbo. I ain't like my father. First time, like, I had gumbo, my father cooked it, and I was just like, I was not feeling it because I was like young at the time. I was like. I don't know what this is. It's all slimy and stuff. It was the okra. (laughs) So, but yeah, like, um, but no, you say like all those things come into play and then we get on this point where either someone feels like I'm the person that did this or then you get to a point where people are excluded. Like, like, Worldstar don't help nobody or live mixtapes don't help nobody. Like, like, 
but they still play a part in somebody's marketing mix somewhere. The, the, the crazy thing about it is we can all say, like, I was recently at odds with the guys at my mixtape. Mm-hmm. Me and the guy from my mixtapes, we told each other. He's like, bro, you don't need me and I don't need you. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Yeah. Records been broken for decades without no my mixtapes or no live mixtapes or no that pill. Records been broken for decades without these platforms. So it's not like they're absolutely necessary, but they are helpful yes. for those people who know how to use them. So it, it, Worldstar being another example, I know so many people, so many people, and I facilitate deals for Worldstar for guys that don't want to listen. Like guys, hey man, I want I want my video up on the top like the ready remix was for three days straight, bro. That's fifteen thousand dollars. I don't care what it is. That's what I want. Okay, bro. Like um, I really wouldn't advise, man. Look, bro, don't tell me. Just I know what I want. Okay, bro. Run the fifteen in. Look. Here you go, world star. Let's go your fifteen thousand. There go the video. They put the video up for three days, and the guy don't get the results he want. Mm-hmm. World Star's some bullshit, <laughs> but that's not so much the case. You know, World Star is a, is a key component of our marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, for us, we're trouble. It's a key component. Um, and using all of these different parts now, when people step up and say that they broke a record mm-hmm. or they're the person that broke trouble, I applaud them. Mm-hmm. If that's what you did, bro, then keep up the good work. Mm-hmm. Do it some more. <laughs> but what I don't and what I try to stop, and, and I don't do it publicly, but when somebody says, bro, he ain't do nothing or they ain't do nothing to help mm-hmm. the project, I'm the person that did it. You, you're more than welcome to say that you're the person that did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to support you saying that you broke this record and that you did everything because you did help us. Mm-hmm. But I can't let you say that this other person did nothing because they helped too. Mm-hmm. Now, you may feel that your help was 75% of breaking the record, when in actuality it was 5% of breaking the record. I'm not going to have that debate. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you tout this however you want to tout this, and I'm going to support you. Just don't downgrade the other people who help support, because every part of this, it, it works. Like um, right now, to this day, um, with, with the mixtape platforms, mm-hmm. Spinrilla is becoming a more and more important platform for artists. Yeah. So there are artists that feel that they just want Spinrilla. F that piff live mixtapes and my mixtapes. They just want Spinrilla. Mm-hmm. And then they don't get the looks that they that they wished for or they don't get the results that they were expecting because they just went through Spinrilla. Because there's a, there's a cross-section of people who don't listen to Spinrilla. Yeah. Um, and I learned this lesson just last year with Trouble and his music. With Reddy, Reddy was on World Star. Reddy was on MTV Jams. Reddy was on 24 radio stations in the Southwest. And I hadn't put it on his Facebook page. When I uploaded the video to his Facebook page, it was a brand new record to the people on Facebook because some of them don't watch the video shows, don't go to World Star, and don't pay any attention to YouTube. You know what I'm saying? And so it was a brand new record to them. That's that's part of the, the issue. Like now within the, the music industry, there are so many channels. Like just, you got, and it's like you got to secure everything. Like, oh, 
Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, goddamn Vine, Meerkat. Right. <laughs> and, and, and allow me to say this, man. With trouble, being around before me mm-hmm. and having a presence on these different platforms, we use them. Mm-hmm. The newer kids, a lot of them use um, SoundCloud yeah. and, and just drop straight to SoundCloud, get a lot of views. But the smartest move, which is what Ryan Leslie preaches, is to create your own platform. Mm-hmm. Like if I go through making a magazine to help me promote this artist and get this artist heard, then I want making a magazine to tout this website. Mm-hmm. Tout my website. Don't tout. And, and, and you got to understand, I just had this conversation with a kid that, that, that just, he don't get it. But no, no. Facebook, <laughs> yeah, Facebook, that isn't your traffic. Yeah. Those whatever thousands of likes or thousands of views you get hey, on Facebook. Dollar companies. Yeah. These are you are increasing the traffic for them to make more money that will then lead them to turn around and charge you more money to reach more people when you when you when you when you're strictly focused on these platforms. Uh-huh. Um there were and, and I point this out to people and people act like it can't possibly happen, but look at MySpace. Mm-hmm. But uh, recently the shade room. Uh, okay. Got their Facebook page shut down right. from uh, I guess it was copyright violation or whatever. When Azalea Banks got her account cut by right. Twitter, right. right? Like those things. Like and I always, I always use the analogy that like you, you hustling like DVDs, CDs, cakes, whatever. You know, it was always guys coming to barbershop on Saturday, right? Like with something for sale. Right. So that's cool. You can hit all the barbershops, no doubt, and you make good money, right? But when that barbershop closed, you don't go there and make any money. Exactly. Like, so yo, you're tied to that. Right. But you can do that same thing and you you rent out a space and you got your own shop and you drop flyers while you out there. You give your card out while you... Exactly, man. And, and part of my story, part of my history, I had a clothing store. Mm-hmm. And in the clothes... I, I worked in the clothing store at first. And it, it, the guy, it was a friend of mine who owned it. And he couldn't pay me enough, really. To, he couldn't pay me a livable wage. But he gave me the freedom to sell whatever I could sell in the store to make money. And I started selling CDs and DVDs. Mm-hmm. And it got to, the volume got so great, I had to get a better machine mm-hmm. and a bigger machine. And so, um, I, and I would be so busy, I didn't have the machine that the joints did the five stacks. Mm-hmm. I had to join with the robot arm mm-hmm. that picks up the CD, prints it, and then prints the cover on it and drops it in the other sleeve. So I could just type in on my computer 50 copies of this and 20 copies of that. And I would sell literally hundreds of CDs a day, 50, 60 DVDs a day. I'm talking small town, 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. And the bootleggers started coming to me. Mm -hmm. I'm in one spot. I'm not outside the liquor store hawking these. I'm not at the barbershop. I'm not, you don't have to. The person who's looking for a movie you don't have to be at the barbershop between 10 and 11 in the morning on Saturday when mm-hmm. the bootleg guy there. They can just come see me anytime and it just, I learned that lesson then. It put me in a position where I got a spot, I got my own spot. And at this spot, you can come here any time of the day from nine o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock at night and get your music or get your movie. And so that just put me at an advantage. And so transferring that over to the digital with having your own website and consistently touting that regardless of if you're going to, yes, use Instagram, yes, use Facebook, 
Yes, use Periscope and Meerkat and Twitter. Definitely use Twitter. It's mandatory. Twitter is the most effective uh, tool for marketing your music ever. And don't allow yourself to be tricked because you like pictures that Instagram is the shit or that because Facebook does a billion people um, a day that it's the number one trafficked place. But when you're talking about giving people an impulse buy, mm-hmm. it's on Twitter. All they got to do is Tap your links are clickable. Yeah, tap your link and they're straight to your product. Whereas in Instagram, then you got to go to your bio, then they got to click the link, then they got to say yes to open their web browser, and then they can click to buy. They got four steps before they purchase. They may change their mind at the second step. That that's one of the things that I always uh, with dealing with artists and just independents in general, like. Put yourself in the consumer mind frame for a second, like because we we we're very lenient when when we're the when we're the business, like when when it's our brand. It's like so you're gonna give me this card that you hope that I hold on to that I hopefully remember and bring in from the car when I'm in front of the computer. I'm probably in front of the computer to do some work, but I'm gonna stop doing my work to type in this website to like it's a lot of steps for failure like a lot right. of points of failure in that that thing give me some I, I i love a cd right like whether or not like even you can have the the qr code printed on the cd you can have the website and all that stuff all the same stuff you would put on the flyer but i can also still just pop the cd in that's it and and i think it's just it's interesting me uh and i was talking to nick about this we and, and it's so crazy with, with watching my kids grow up is they just live in a different age. Like they, the world, they took the world for what it is. Like they think this is how it always was. Like, right. And I just was reading a book, um, uh, The Innovators. And it was just talking about how the internet age came about and all this stuff. And I grew up with the internet. Like when I first was getting online was like in the 90s, the early 90s. The internet had just been invented, so I right. thought it was just always around. So, right. Right. but it's so so like, and I I watch like the this younger generation like they're like, yo, what's your Snapchat? What's your Instagram? Like they don't ask for numbers anymore. Like right. so, it's just like a whole different context with them. But they're not the the they're still not the majority of people. Right. And and, and they're still like I think uh, one of the things we. Uh, me and my wife were talking about was just the, also the economic divide with um, internet access and people who have a laptop because most people just doing stuff on their phone but everybody got that CD player in their car it's, it's, it's one of the biggest things like CDs and I just used this example with guys not too long ago that um, when you're talking about CDs there it's 300 million cars on a on the road in the United States. Mm-hmm. And like 80% of them have CD players in them. Mm-hmm. So we want to kill the CD because of the advent of the digital. And digital is overwhelmingly taking over. Mm-hmm. But the CD may be in a rocking chair, but it's not dead yet. Mm-hmm. And so using the, that tool, and they're cheaper than ever. Yeah, You know, the CD CDs are super cheap now. And so like... Why not? It's, it's, it's cheaper than a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. It's ten times cheaper than a t-shirt. 
Yeah. But see these fifteen times cheaper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and also, it's still is that that other component is it being tactile, something to touch, to hold, it's, to it's, remember. It's a souvenir. It's a tchotchke. Like that's why I still we still print magazines. Like people, man, you should do a blog and just do digital. And it's like no, like but. Like and it's funny, like someone that posted and shared like JD with the magazine holding it up. Right. Like, I wasn't there for it. He posted it on his Instagram. Right. That happened because it was something physical that you could see and you could touch right. that it makes it more real. Anyone can have a link to something. Bro, the whole concept we live in an age now where the new music consumers, the kids, they do not need to own the music. Mm-hmm. They just want to be able to consume it. We understand that it's a brand new era of, of 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 it's a brand new era for the music industry. The entire concept of ownership of having the the the, the insert, the booklet, That's all the of that. Economy, though. Yeah, it's like it's not necessary anymore. Mm-hmm. You can just consume it without owning it. You can pay Apple Music or Spotify ten bucks a month. Spotify just started a family plan where you can have your whole family on Spotify for fifteen bucks a month. So it's five people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so you don't need to own the music, but mm-hmm. there's still the human aspect of this and the human psyche mm-hmm. to where when you look somebody in the face and you hand them this CD, they don't want to just throw it on the ground. You mm-hmm. gave them something of value. And then whenever they, if it's in their pocket or in their purse or wherever it may be, when they're near a CD player, if they're in the car and they sit down and, what's this in my pocket? Mm-hmm. Oh, the CD. Even if they never play it, though. Yeah. It's constant. Those are brand, like, brand. Those like, are branding opportunities. Six impressions. <laughs> That's all it takes. You know what I'm saying? That's all it takes. All we're looking for is to get these impressions. We want this, what they call the marketing rule itself. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, the marketing rule itself, we get these seven impressions, and we're happy as heck. And if we can get more than that, that's even better. And so, of course, we use all of the technology. We use the Shazams and, um, like, uh, the guy with the billboard truck. Mm-hmm. And I forget his name, but his number in my phone. Great dude. I'm going to have him out at a couple of events that we're working and um, playing a, the, a couple of trouble songs so that whoever wants to Shazam the music can. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm going to have so many hard copies out there you know, that, that the people got to see them, the people got to deal with them. And that's just a part of the, I don't want to say the correct way, but of the best way. Because I don't like to use the words right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, man, what you're doing, that's wrong. It's just, they might not be effective, mm-hmm. but if it's all you can do, it's not wrong. It may be not as effective. It looks good on you. <laughs> yeah, all you can do, but, but like for the for you talking about doing the most effective things, I was always taught that there's a million ways to skin a cat, but there's only one best way to do any one thing. Mm-hmm. And so we try to stick to the best ways. Now there's some things that I don't do the best way. Mm-hmm. I just know that it works. You know what I'm saying? I'm horrible at delegating responsibility, so I end up doing too many things that I could have somebody else do. But between my own trust issues yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my limitations as an individual, as a person, it's hard for me to delegate something. I think that's like that's honestly one of the biggest um, building blocks, uh, biggest uh, roadblocks, like for uh, us black urban music entertainment 
like is the the trust factor um and i think that's one of the things like and that's why i was even talking to you about the book outside of this music thing like a lot of these issues are so much bigger than the context of music is our inability to scale for effectively being unable to trust and having people that you can feel that you can delegate and, and not to cut you off but and for music so many people who are involved or who are desires to be a personal assistant or they, they really have the ulterior motive or they want to be an artist or they want to be a manager or they want to be a mogul so as soon as they get a glimpse into one aspect of how things work they take that and run off and try to sell it to somebody else mm-hmm. as part of a proven formula they try to they try to take the sugar out the Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and, and, and mix it with brown food coloring and water and say, hey man, this, this is Coke. I just thought I just got this from the Coke factory. I know the mm-hmm. formula. But they, they don't know the formula. So and it doesn't help the people that they're trying to sell it to. But what it does is it harms the branding. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody, if my PA, if I have a PA that runs off and say, look, bro, I saw Tony's whole business plan. This how they doing this. Mm-hmm. But not understanding the timing that goes with it and the complexities of the networking, then this person tries this and they say, "Oh man, I tried that BS that Tony them be doing. That stuff don't work." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "I got, I got friends. I would like to say clients, but they're not clients because I couldn't keep them as clients to to keep the friendship. Mm-hmm. So we're friends, but they're not clients anymore. Who don't believe that Google AdWords work." Mm-hmm. They don't believe that the views that you get through Google AdWords are real. Man. The, and YouTube ads are the best. Man, <laughs> I, 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 I had a guy spent $11,000 with Worldstar. Mm-hmm. Good friend of mine. I tried to get him not to do it. He spent eleven grand. After he spent eleven grand, uh, two, three days into his Worldstar promotion, he wasn't liking no results. Mm-hmm. He didn't like the difference between the World Star numbers and the YouTube numbers. Mm-hmm. And World Star doesn't lie about your numbers; they show you your impressions. Yeah, how many people saw the thumbnail impression of your video? That's the. I think that's the. It's not a lie; it's just ambiguity. That's like you know, and and it's not it. I talk to them a lot about that, mm-hmm. and their position is these are the views of your thumbnail. Mm-hmm. If you want to know the views of your actual video, go to YouTube. Mm-hmm. So when you go to YouTube and you see that this vi- this video that had 1.4 million views got 30,000 views or 5,000 views, that, that's just the reality of your situation. We presented it to this many people and less than 1% of them chose to click on it. The other thing with that, it also is like kind of a litmus test. One of those things where when people throw that out there, and I think I don't know if it was you I was talking to talking with about it, but just how artists or independents kind of throw tout these numbers or tout these certain stats, and it's like, okay, either you don't know that they, I know, <laughs> or you of, don't. Know. Yeah, a lot of times they just don't know. Yeah. But I've been approached by guys. Um, hey man. I got a lot going on. Man, check out my YouTube video, 800,000 views. And I go check out the video and it has 10 likes, 2 dislikes, and 13 comments. Mm-hmm. You bought views. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't, man. You, you know, like, you just a hater. Mm-hmm. I'm not this. You're going to get 
at least one half of one percent of the view count as a like or dislike, bro. Mm-hmm. Period. That's just period. That's yeah. a, that's a number etched in stone as a, of a minimum. <laughs> so when I see that you don't have that number, then it's like okay. But with the Google AdWords thing, it's like every dollar that you spend, they show you mm-hmm. what it costs for each video per dollar, mm-hmm. how many views you got, how long they watched it, yeah. and if they watched another video or clicked your website or a link to your, to buy your music. They show you all this information. But the guys with the 11 grand and Worldstar, when they didn't like their results, I told them, man, let's spend 1500 with AdWords. And they griped to him the hard on, because I told them in the beginning, bro, please don't spend this on. I'm like, bro, that $11,000 over yeah. a weekend could make your video go viral. Yeah. They didn't want to listen, they want to listen. They spent 1500 we spent $500 a day for three days. Mm-hmm. They got 48,000 views. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like um, 30, no, I'm lying. They spent 1,500 bucks and they got 113,000 views. Whatever it was, it was something like 47 views per dollar they ended up getting for their money. Mm-hmm. And it was like, um, man, Tom, bro, like, why didn't you? Tell us, and I'm like, bro, this is what I was telling you about before. <laughs> and in addition to that, once they spent that money and got the views, a lot of times with AdWords, you don't get the engagement at mm-hmm. first. But then you can go in and use the all the people that view. Create an audience. Yeah, you can you can go in and, and create that audience from the people who viewed it and then pitch them to come and click over Hold here. Hold on one second. This is higher level shit right here. Y'all, y'all, y'all privy <laughs> to. So... Google some of these some of these definitions. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And I don't mean to go too far off, but but like, yo, these is, are the things that that's why I this do is this. Effective shit, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like this is something that's really effective. Like that, the with AdWords, and if you don't know how to use it, like I sell a service that does AdWords campaign for people. But if you don't know how to use it, in the upper right-hand corner, there's an 800 number. You can call Google, and they will teach you how to use it. And they, they will got, teach you how to spend your money. <laughs> yeah, they, got, they got all the different platforms and tutorials, and you can get directly on the phone if you don't understand the tutorial and be like, man, I got $5 a day. I'm trying to, I got a campaign I'm trying to do for $100 it's for three weeks, and I want to maximize it. What do I need to do? And they will help you with it, like. And this this doesn't take away from what I do, but even though I charge I charge people to do it for them. Google helps you out for free. I charge people to do it for them. But as part of not just I don't just do that, but as part of a, a promotional platform for um, for folk. But I'm just I use. But I here's and I'm gonna put this caveat out there because what you do is more tailored and customized to the individual situation and the other things. Google is just going to show them how to be most effective with their platform mm-hmm. without taking into account no, the what the content is. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to, I create um, the audiences based on the people most likely to listen to your music. Mm-hmm. And um, some of that stuff is, is is somewhat secret sauce yeah. per se. <laughs> but I have my own way of doing stuff. Um, I got a good friend, Sancera, who's way better than me at this stuff. She's an actual Google affiliate mm-hmm. who she has a business doing the same thing. She ran Jay-Z's website. Mm-hmm. Uh, Life and Times, she, she did all of the video promotion for that website for years. And so- I need to interview her. She's amazing. 
Yeah. She's amazing. But Sarah is. And she lives in Myrtle Beach now. Okay. So it's nothing to, to, to reach out to. And she's in Atlanta quite often, too. So, um, yeah, Sun Sarah's amazing. Um, and, and, and great at what she does. Like, like amazingly great at what she does. So, but... But like like with Google AdWords, I I brought it up, and it's just another tool that you can use. Have, have you utilized Twitter? Any Twitter ads? With the Twitter ads, what I found is the my clients like Twitter ads to gain Twitter followers. That's why I'm and and the cost of getting the followers isn't often worth it for a musician mm. whose music. Is not just for sale. I work with a lot of dudes who give away music and have their music available for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, it's somewhat of a, like a, a a Kevin Gates model of business mm-hmm. until it's time to release an actual album. Um, and so, paying a dollar something per Twitter followers. Ooh, I got mine down to a dime. Yeah, I mean, even at a even at a dime, um, and I've never gotten down to a dime. I think the lowest I got was maybe the thirty cents, but. Um, I use a different tool mm-hmm. for Twitter. I use a tool called Tweepy. Mm-hmm. And um, at Tweepy, it allows me to go in and for an artist like a trouble, mm-hmm. it allows me to go in and find who likes Young Dolph mm-hmm. and who's in a certain vicinity and who tweets a certain amount. And it allows me to place uh, do some geo-locating to put tweets that are going to pop up in their timeline, whether they follow Trouble or not, to mm-hmm. make them aware of the music and that is similar to what Young Dolph does or similar to what Young Thug does or whoever we're using at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, when I'm at Trouble... Have you ever checked Follower Wonk? Follower Wonk, look, Follower Wonk is an amazing tool mm-hmm. and also Instagress. Mm-hmm. Instagress is for Instagram. Okay. You can go in Instagress and it gives you your first 72 hours for free. You mm-hmm. can program it to work an hour a day, two hours a day, however. But with Instagress, you can choose whoever posts a picture from, let's say, Compound Nightclub mm-hmm. on a Saturday night. You can, you can may have Instagress automatically like that person's picture. Mm-hmm. and engage them so that they're aware of you. And you can have Instagram like the picture within the first five likes mm-hmm. so that they notice. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so Instagram is a real great tool. It allows you to target by geolocation, by age. Um, it's just an amazing tool. I think the... I feel like Instagram is the worst platform for ever music, for marketing. For music marketing. But it's great from a consumer standpoint because it prevents us from marketing. <laughs> like if only, I was like, man, if only they would let these links be clickable, then I'd be like, I probably wouldn't even want to be on there if they were clickable. So right. But yeah, like I have not tried Instagram. So like that yeah. that has been added to my um Yeah, Instagram is great. Instagram follow along. And um a cat who, if you can ever catch him in Atlanta, or if you do a remote um, interview with him, mm-hmm. Martin Atkins. Okay. Martin Atkins has the book like um, how to immediately make fifty thousand more a year from your music, mm-hmm. and he gives all different kind of fire tips. But and he's he's a he's a drummer in a band. For, he's a former drummer of Ministry mm-hmm. punk band, and but the dude is a genius, mm-hmm. like literally a genius. Um, I know him through Wendy. I went to a couple. He runs SAE Chicago. He's the, the president up there. Mm-hmm. I went to a couple of conferences, and then I saw him speak at South by Southwest about his book. And um, 
he just like he knows all the little tricks and the tips and merchandising and mm-hmm. how to get certain stuff done and, and like he's he'll be a great guy to talk to. That dude's amazing. You know what? And you that that brings up a very interesting point. Like for me, like uh, with making a magazine, like our target audience and the people we try to help. If you got, I feel like if you got twenty thousand dollars, you about to just dump into your music. We're, we're probably not for you. We're more for people who, we um, like for what we do with the website and some of our services is more for the person who has a music dream and has music, but is looking to make incremental. And I think one of the big things is what you brought up is like the making fifty thousand dollars more. Like when you run across an artist, like. I felt I found that when I was doing more consulting work and stuff, most people don't have like that number of that goal that they're trying to make. It's just a million dollars. It's not the like let me like and what I was like, how much did you make this year? Like working a job. Like right. would you not like to replace that doing music? Like started started twenty six thousand or something yeah, first. Right. So like with with you doing the work that you do, like how when clients come to you and what you were talking about earlier with putting these marketing plans together and stuff like that, um, how many of them come to you with the like with the goal as no. far as what they need? No. Nobody has a goal. They just want to be able to make their money back mm-hmm. and become popular and become famous. It's the biggest thing um, with the artists. Now, with the investors, and this is where the making the magazines are important. Artists have to build themselves up to a level where the people who have the money to invest in them see it as a viable investment, see them mm-hmm. as a viable investment. This is not your neighborhood drug dealer or, or your bank robber or your street cat with some money. These are the people in your chamber of commerce that own supermarkets and McDonald's and people who played the guitar in high school and love music, mm-hmm. but now they're, they're entrepreneurs by trade and every... So often they're investing three, four hundred thousand dollars into something that's going to make them a ten percent profit in the next three years over the course of the next ten years. Like they're investing today, knowing that they're not going to make their money back until next year or the year after, and it's going to be a continuous flow of income. And when you can go to these people and say, "This is my name. This is the type of music I've been making," and before you think this is a pipe dream, this is what I've been able to accomplish. Through this platform at Making It Magazine, I was able to perform here and here. And I have a song with production from Zaytoven that I'm free to market on my own. Zaytoven is a Grammy Award winning producer or Grammy nominated producer. Also, I've been able to generate this type of following and create this type of uh, following on these social media platforms. I have this type of traffic to my website. And with this amount of money, I can increase this X amount so that I create this form of income that will return your money plus a nice percentage as well as create a better situation for myself and make allow me to make a living off of my music. This is where the making it magazines and the and the showcases and things like this come into play. You you the artists have to use these opportunities 
to increase their notoriety so that when they approach an investor, it makes it sensible for them to invest in them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even a person that only has the $7, if they got to save for two paychecks for the $7 for the membership to the magazine, and I'm not uh, topping the magazine or pumping up the magazine just because I'm here with you, but everywhere I've ever been in Atlanta is always somebody pumping the magazine. I knew who, what the magazine was before I even met you. Mm -hmm. You know, say, oh, you the dude with making the magazine the first you time. You the dude with the scratchy throat. <laughs> <laughs> you feel what I'm saying? And so, um, and so it's just like, when you, when you, when as an artist, when you come to the uh, 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 re realization that you're gonna need this money if you wanna if you wanna compete at this upper level. You're gonna need this money. And even if you don't have any money, if you're a step away from homeless, if you're able to put yourself in a position to present yourself to the people with money, that's the most important part. You go to an investor and you got nothing going on, then yeah. there's nothing to invest in. Just like I tell dudes all the time, they say, man, I need management. Okay, um, what you making the show? I ain't doing no shows yet, then you don't need management. Mm -hmm. You don't need management until there's too much going on for you to handle by yourself. So um, when, the, when the opportunities that you have as an artist start to become more expensive than what you can't afford mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's inhibiting your growth, then it's time to go and start looking for investors and saying, hey, I got this going on. I've got that going on. Um, I had opportunity to do four shows and rock the bells on the West Coast. But um, they were only willing to pay for hotel rooms and not for travel. And I need 500 bucks for Greyhound for me and my partner. You know what I'm saying? And so, but if you can do that, then once I get out there and perform these shows, I'm confident I can sell a few features for a thousand bucks a piece and I'll split that money with you. Mm -hmm. If it's something as simple as that to start with that investor, mm -hmm. it's, it's something to get started with. But you gotta have something going on. And so the, the, the magazine, gives people the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? I, I got a uh, premium membership to the magazine that I don't use nearly enough because I never sat down and figured out how. But uh, 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 by that same token, I see the, the things that you do for guys. I know G-Mac the band man. I know his investor. Mm -hmm. I know the amount of uh, uh, money that they're investing in him and in, into his career. And for him to have this opportunity to, uh, to perform a birthday bash, for the cost of a premium investment, is it saved them tons of money. It put them in a position. And so there are other artists who are going to get the same opportunity through the magazine that don't even have an investor, mm -hmm. that don't even have a real label behind them like Money Over Death. You know what I'm saying? I know the owner of Money Over Death, a good friend of mine. And so um, just to, to see the, to the opportunities that these dudes get, I know that there are people charging thousands of dollars for the same opportunities, just like the South by Southwest uh, 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 promo you guys run where you get guys placed on these sound stages. Like, I, I know dudes, they, they sell these joints, $3,000, $5,000, $7,500, and for the cost of a membership, you get the chance to do this. It's cheaper than a Sonic Bids membership. Yeah. <laughs> Sonic Bids, you know, it costs hundreds of bucks. And so, um, to, to what the artists have to do is use the resources that are available at their level of expense mm -hmm. and utilize them fully. Yo, you just hit on something I, I said I was going to talk to you about. <laughs> the, the it's the I guess it's kind of like the marketing, modeling up, like how, and I, I was talking to my wife about this, like no matter what somebody's driving, you can always ask them what kind of car they want and they will give you an answer. Right. Like, you know, you're the truck, I want the Wraith. You got right. the Wraith, I want a Jet. Like, right. It's like, it's always, yeah. and it's like, 
enough, not enough independents spend at the level that they're at right. to build a like the it's the cat who can afford the membership to the magazine wants to pay the DJ to play their record because they want to feel like I'm getting my stuff played in the club. Even if when they spend that money, that's all their money. Like I never understood the guy who like world star be popping around tax time. <laughs> like you got to wait till tax time to get on world star. You don't have a budget to be on world star. Right. But it's like, that's the whole thing is like the, the levels of, of spending. Like I, one of the things I always would get was, Artists who would be like, yo, I ain't doing no more open mics until uh, it's time for them to start paying me. I'm like, you don't understand how that works. Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm, de- I'm dealing with an artist like that right now. I got a friend and his daughter mm-hmm. is, um, is an artist and she feels like she's done enough that she should be getting paid. Mm-hmm. And I don't so much disagree with her mm-hmm. that it's a possibility for them getting paid. Mm-hmm. But if just some certain other things were done, it would guarantee a payday. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of them learning what else needs to be done in order to get the payday. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know a lot of artists that that feel they should be paid and they have great music, but they don't have the following. And the following is it's so simple that I'm amazed that a lot of artists don't realize it. It's the following that gets you paid. The music is great, but the following gets you paid. The promoter books the artist so that the artist could bring a crowd that pays at the door that the promoter then uses as profits. Mm-hmm. So if the promoter can be assured that 250 people are going to come out when he does a show with you, then he may be secure in paying you $1,000 and paying a thousand bucks for the venue and then charging 10 bucks a head and making $500 mm-hmm. if he's confident that you're going to bring 250 people out so without that following without people that are going to come and see you there's no reason to pay you for the booking yeah. you know, no matter if your song is the greatest song ever if you don't bring anybody out then the promoter will go broke just mm-hmm. booking everybody with a nice song that doesn't have a following Mm-hmm. So it's like the artist got to kind of understand this, like generate your following first. I stay away. We stayed away from all of that. We didn't do, we didn't have no release parties. We had nothing in Atlanta for trouble. Mm-hmm. Nothing until he had a following that garnered him getting a payday. And we started taking paydays. We just worked and worked the streets until we were in a position to start getting paid. I didn't politic with the promoters and try to get him added to no shows or nothing. Mm-hmm. We just worked until we had a big enough following till um, Measy, who manages 21 Savage. Mm-hmm. Mega Measy called and said, bro, I think it's time for Trouble to do a show in the city. We'll bring mm-hmm. him to Mansion on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And he did Mansion on a Friday. They normally do eight, 900 people. They did 2,200 that night. Mm-hmm. That established the fact that Trouble has a following to the other promoters and, and from that just and just to say about um if, for artists in Atlanta and working in Atlanta and for those people who want to run to fly to Atlanta uh, and I'm not going to go too deep on that but uh, over the last six months Trouble's done somewhere between 60 and 75 shows mm-hmm. um, maybe five of them in Atlanta mm-hmm. and he's Atlanta's own um, we go through the mall and he gets stopped to take pictures um, he goes in the, in the uh, go to the club he never get charged every promoter every bouncer every security person every DJ they all know who this kid is mm-hmm. 
but we do the most of our work outside of the city. Mm-hmm. Because just being popping in one city is not enough to sustain a career. Even if that one city is New York City. Mm-hmm. You now you might be able to get away with just being popping in New York's ten million people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you, you want a you want a bigger following than just your city. We did That um, was an issue that I had, um with, with exactly what you're saying. Cause we get a lot of artists who want to come. Like I'm trying to blow up in Atlanta, pop off in Atlanta, and they come down here and they drop a bag. They come down here with a bag and they leave without it. And it's just like, and I, I, I was at the, I was at the the Revolt Music Conference, mm-hmm. and it's crazy because it was like a group down there, and they didn't rent it. They rented like damn Lamborghini. They rented like three luxury cars and got them parked out in front of the Fountain Blue, right. and didn't want to spend some money on the ad. But <laughs> I'm talking to another cat because I've already talked to them. I didn't sum them up like, y'all weekend rappers, but. I'm talking to this other guy and he wants to come down to Atlanta. He wants to blow up, do his stuff in Atlanta. He's talking to people and I just break it down for him. Like, name one person that blew up in Atlanta that's not from Atlanta. Man, keep looking. <laughs> like, keep looking. Like, it's hard enough for Atlanta artists to get support. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, that they went to school here, played basketball here. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they <laughs> got two baby mamas here. Yeah, <laughs> people have seen growing up and struggle here. It's hard enough for them to get support. When you talk about you're gonna come from out of town, and what 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 happens when you come from out of town is everybody's gonna sell you a dream or sell you a package that's supposed to get you a certain amount of results. And because Atlanta is so say the pop in the city. That package that they're selling you comes at a premium, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be effective because they're going to take your money. And if it doesn't work, oh well. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the the, the the best con men in music are the ones who say, "All right, bro, we're gonna start with this ten thousand. We're gonna get this done. Can you afford ten thousand? Yeah, I can afford ten thousand. Can you afford ten thousand? Nah, man, I can't afford number five thousand. That's all right. We're gonna start with the five thousand, <laughs> and they they work you in a way that they learn what you like, so mm-hmm. they'll take your first amount of money. Mm-hmm. They'll catch a popping night at a club. If you if you're the guy that likes attention, they'll go get a DJ a couple hundred bucks. They'll buy you a few bottles from the promoter at a discount, get you a section, and then they'll print up a couple of flyers and say, "All right, bro, everything working so well, bro. They got they want you over here for this night at this club." Mm-hmm. Now, when this you go in here, you come out of there basking in the glow. The call the next morning is, all right, brother, keep it going. We're going to need another five. Mm-hmm. We're going to need another ten. And they work you like that and string you along until you go broke. Mm-hmm. Either you go broke or you go to jail if you're hustling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But they work you that way until you until they, they suck you dry. And then they, they juggle in the next person in the mix the same way. So it's, you know, just it's so many people, so many Shady people everywhere in the music business, everywhere, shysters everywhere. But right here in Atlanta, you've got the breeding ground of the sharks and leeches and, and all different forms. They have a training camp out 400. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they got, got Lestat is out here biting vampires and teaching them to suck your blood. Like it's and so like you just got to know what's going on and know how stuff works, man. And, and I preach this, and I really stop saying this out loud to people because number one, they don't listen, and, it, and the ones who do it will create competition for us. But yeah. work outside, work in the places where you go and you're important. 
if you're working in Atlanta, you're not important as a new artist. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thug is going to be in the club. Rich Homie Kwan is going to pop up in Blue Flame on Tuesday. Future may pop up in the club. You're not important here as an unknown artist to the people that, that could possibly help you. You're not important. And to the everyday person who's a fan, you're one of a thousand other artists passing out these wax CDs. They're never going to listen to them. So, and I don't say never, but it's hard to get listened to. I mean, if you want to just round it off, though. <laughs> right. Right. So, and so, you know, like, what's wrong with pulling up in Columbus? What's wrong with pulling up in Macon? What's wrong with pulling up in Athens? Where there's not a thousand rappers, where maybe they be, there may be twenty rappers, mm-hmm. but you're the new face, yeah. and you got a professional presentation. You know what's wrong with pulling up in Phoenix City, Alabama, and Montgomery, and Mobile, and Tuskegee? What's wrong with that? All these places are within driving distance of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know what's wrong with going to Warner Robins and places like this, and and being seen as man, that's the that exotic, rapper, yeah, like, that rapper from Atlanta came and seen us. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's just for 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 me, it's like we get more bang for our buck that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and trouble stays too busy to actually do a market tour. But like, I, I always dream of like, what if I could just take him to all these cities and and let these people in these small towns see his charisma shine through and and, and his star aura shine through and, and you know face to face with people. I often wonder about that, but, but we just stay busy. You know, he yeah. got, he got a lot of responsibilities. We um we try to keep creating new music and then we doing these shows, so it's hard for us to do the market tours. But as much as possible, we pop up in small towns all the time. We pop up in the mall anywhere, strip mall, uh, uh, rib shack. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We pop up and we kick it and trouble shakes hands and hugs the fat girls and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was the, it's your videos, it's your pics, it's him, me seeing him in the barbershop passing out his own CDs. Hey, like, and it was like, like my first time meeting trouble. And seeing him perform was at the Chit Chat. This is when Busted was was popping, and so then you know all that stuff was going on. And I hear from him for a while, and then when you got back involved with him, and then some of the stuff y'all was doing, then I started watching his his movement through then. And when I saw that, like, cause that's that's my biggest thing is, it's um, I felt like independents try to be majors and majors try to while majors are trying to be independent majors see independents hustling and getting to the money and they say how can we downsize and be more nimble and then you got the independents who want the to to be perceived as major so they can be so standoffish and too good and too big for things that's the 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 best thing i like about trouble um monday night Mm -hmm. he called me monday hey bro going to the studio i'm like okay like, but you got some more CDs left? I'm like, yeah, I got a thousand left in my truck, you know. Uh, and I, and I, you got a thousand that I know you haven't moved yet. Mm-hmm. That's still in the box. I saw them in your trunk. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, I do got them, man. You got the sleeves and the covers? Yeah, I got the sleeves and the covers. Well, look, bro, I'm going to invite some people over to the studio. I'm out of CDs. I passed all the ones out that I had that were stuffed already. So let's stuff some more CDs so I can pass out more CDs. And so we go to the studio. He got 10 people in there. He mm-hmm. ordered some food. We stuffed some CDs. We got 1,500, you know, stuff. He takes a big box. And he calls me this morning, hey man, I need some more CDs, this is some more stuff. Like this dude is moving around on his own, like mm-hmm. like check out my music and, and really interacting with people like every day. You know, this you have a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
you know, he, he, he wants it badly. Yeah. And and he's had a taste of it before, and he realizes that he's very close to making his dreams come true right now. And so why change what's been working? Mm-hmm. You know, the the, 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 the the biggest thing that me and him are going through right now is getting him <laughs> to accept that he needs security. Mm-hmm. He don't need security, mm-hmm. but he needs security. Yeah. You know, he don't need anybody to make sure that he's all right. But for him to avoid having to handle the problems himself, maybe yeah. he should have somebody with him. Not maybe everywhere he goes, but especially when he's going out for, for public outings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so on. When I when I mention it, thing to keep you secure is to prevent a court case. <laughs> from, from my perspective, yeah. it's like, okay, bro, what's the? We've been through all these different steps, and right now, what's the biggest thing? The biggest concern I have about your success. It's not about you getting hurt anymore. You're gonna get hurt. It's not about you making music that's uh, palatable to the people. You're making music that the people love. It's like, okay, so what's our biggest problem? It's not the acceptance of the tastemakers and our peers. We've reached that point. Um, What's next is one of these haters placing you in a position that makes you react in a way that mm-hmm. robs you of your opportunity. Mm-hmm. So before we do that, you know, let's place somebody in place, and so on. And so like like that's the biggest thing. But you say I got a unicorn. That's funny. <laughs> and look, he texting me right now too. Where he at? So, um, <laughs> because we got to. I got to get a couple drops out for these shows. Okay. And um, but yeah, I can I catch up with him in a minute. But yeah, man, it's just. Hustle trumps everything with this, man. The hard work and, and, and um, I read a book a long time ago um, called How to Be a Rich Nigga. Mm-hmm. It was by a football player. Mm-hmm. He noted three things that were required to be a rich nigga. He said ambition, motivation, hustle, and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've always, I've memorized that. I've always held on to that and so those are the things that can make a person successful in anything and um, it'll be a big part of the book when I do get around to writing mm-hmm. because um, if you have the desire the ambition to do something and then you have the, um, the motivation or the reasoning behind pursuing it then all you have to do is hustle or work hard at it and persevere through the problems so um, and that, 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 that all leads to success is like a, a, the simplest formula ever and just like, like a person can't include self-doubt in their thought process. I never imagined being told no. I get told no all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get MTV Jam of the Week for a video I'm working. And um, the people that, it, it, um, it would be ET Jam of the Week. And the people at Jams told me, bruh, your independent artist not getting Jam of the Week, bruh. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, why? And they said, well, this week's jam of the week is Chris Brown is 50 Cent featuring Chris Brown. <laughs> this are the type of these are the type of videos that make jam of the week. I was like, okay, I understand. So you know, so I get told no all the time. Um, my latest no that I'm working on straightening is um they want they don't want trouble on the main stage at birthday bash. Mm-hmm. They say he's not ready. <laughs> I, I disagree. Did you play the record for him? <laughs> I humbly disagree. They say, he, they say he only has one record, mm-hmm. and that if he performs at birthday bash without Young Thug, they hit your boot. This was the opinion of someone on the committee, mm-hmm. so they want him on the block party, which we've accepted mm-hmm. conditionally. Um, 
I don't got a I don't got a big problem with being part of the block party, but uh, my two cents is that if trouble's not ready now to be on the main stage, when will it be ready? Mm-hmm. But so, but we got told no, but no about being on the main stage, and so that's just something that you know my my ambition and motivation was to get him on the main stage this year, and uh, it looks like I'm not going to be able to get that done. I'm working on it. But it's you know it's it's just a matter of the powers that be saying something different. But that's not going to stop us from pursuing it and trying to make it happen. And if it doesn't, we'll just make the most of whatever look that we do get. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We're already booked in the city, one of the biggest venues for that weekend. Or I would really take us a booking outside of the city and not even be here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that's important for him, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, so we're going to do it. But like, uh, it's a lot of times where. We tout and we, I don't want to say brag, but we put a spotlight on the, the accomplishments that we have. But man, we get to know about stuff so much, man. Mm-hmm. Like, so many different things that we've tried and, and and wanted to do that people just say, outright say no to, you know? And then we get other um, opportunities and options that, that are presented to us that are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, Trump's part of the Respect My Vote campaign. And that's a big deal because he's never voted. Mm-hmm. He went to prison at a young age. And he didn't even really realize he could vote until he was approached with this opportunity. And when they approached him with the opportunity, he found out that he could register to vote. He's off paper and everything. He could actually register to vote and vote. He was he was with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that's something that I would have never thought anybody would recruit us for. They recruited us for that, you know what I'm saying, for that campaign. He's a, he's a part of it. Like I say, an integral part of that campaign. And you know what? The interesting thing with the, the no saying no and getting hearing no is is two things. Is I, I draw a lot of similarities between the music industry and um, Silicon Valley okay. and startups and investors and have an idea or whatever. Yeah. But getting to this this iterative. Um, kind of condition where you try stuff and fail. Like right. I've tried a million things with the magazine. <laughs> right. Like, right. The only thing we post on Instagram is things that work. <laughs> the parts that work. Man. <laughs> but that's that's the whole thing. Is it, it, taking that same approach. I also I, um, I'm a proponent of artists doing that on the artistic side. Right. In, in lieu of like we don't have artist development. There aren't budgets for artist development like there mm-hmm. are anymore, right? So I've always taken an approach with artists like just do some records and release them, do EPs, do shorter spans, like drop a drop a song with three or four songs and see how people respond to it. Right? See, do they? Oh, they like me better on this type of beat. They like it better when I'm mixed like this. Like and the music t- today's music industry, there's just so much music out that you can't expect to hijack a person's ear for 45 minutes on your first project. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not really feasible to the consumer. Like, go ahead and give them a few songs. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, give them a few records, let them check you out, create a demand that that warrants you giving more music out. If, if, if your first um, project isn't well, well receptive, then you need to go back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's better to do that than make 40 songs like that. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and, and like I, I tell dudes all the time, like, yeah. 
man, I'm working on my mixtape. And these are dudes like dudes with a twenty thousand dollar budget. Let's say, mm-hmm. man, I'm working on my mixtape. Okay, so you're going in the studio, you're paying seventy five hundred bucks an hour, and you're doing fifteen twenty songs, but you could do five songs and use the money from the other ten. Ten uh, uh, songs, recording sessions, though other twenty hours or thirty hours of recording time, you could use that money to help promote mm-hmm. this this small five song project. And it, it doesn't matter if, as an artist, you feel that's not enough music. Let the people decide. Mm-hmm. Let the people. I would much rather somebody say, "When I listen to every song on on, on this project and it's jamming," mm-hmm. than somebody than somebody to be like, "Oh, it's eighteen songs on that. I'm not listening to that." Mm-hmm. Oh man, which which one might sound okay? Or clicking on and listen to the first song, and be like, yeah, it's alright. I would much rather capture them with something that, uh, 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 something that they can accept and they they feel they can consume in a in a decent amount of time and, and decide if they like it or not. With with me personally, that's me. Um, I think, but that that and that's I think that's a very valid point because I think, like I was saying earlier, we expect so much from the consumer, like like we. Like not we, but the artists, they they kind of, well, yeah, they're gonna listen to this because it's jamming because you're vested into it and you would, but you're not thinking from their perspective, from a consumer's perspective, and and that's one of the reasons why I'm honestly, I'm against music videos for most artists. Most artists do music videos and don't have a budget for a music video. It's like shoot that garbage, and I and I got good 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 friends down in Louisiana that create these, man, I got dudes that, that have never been heard of outside of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. They're down to getting two, three grand a show. Mm-hmm. Like, and booked every weekend. Mm-hmm. But when it's time for them to grow their market, mm-hmm. their presentation is hokey. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, just, it kills me. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the one in a thousand guys that do enough work to actually get heard, but then they shoot a hokey video um, and man, not to use an example, but I'm gonna use this example, and, and I just hope these cats don't get too mad at me. I really don't care, but um, I don't want to feel like I'm singling nobody out. But man, I know some cats. They bought a, um, a feature from Dan Loaf. Mm-hmm. Amazing record, a great record. The video was lackluster, for lack of a better word. Like the video just wasn't it. Mm-hmm. And like, how you go and give a chick six, seven thousand dollars for a feature? And put her on such a great record, and then shoot a video that cost her eight hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. You shoot a video that I got. A, part of my philosophy is this: when you got some money to mm-hmm. put behind your project, a big part of my philosophy is this: I'm not letting a person that never mixed the hit record mix my record. <laughs> I'm not letting a videographer that never shot a dope video shoot my video. Mm-hmm. That's just part of my philosophy, me, myself. When we got the budget, the proper budget in place. Now, I work with dudes that we had to record in a cousin um, partner bedroom mm-hmm. when the baby mama was at work because she tripped about this and the, the, the mic was in the closet. Mm-hmm. And I done had guys make great music out of that and then turned around and begged a couple of chicks they was messing with for some money to go and print up CDs to go and pass out the CDs and sell a few of them and then rent a venue out to throw a release party and make some more money to keep their stuff working. I worked both aspects of it. Mm-hmm. When it was time to go from printing up a few hundred CDs locally and doing this around the, the small towns we was in to actually getting heard when 
we started networking with a few DJs who were saying, man, the levels on this record not really right. Okay, mm-hmm. now it's time to get this record mixed and mastered. Mm-hmm. Now we can go to Joe Blow, who mm-hmm. got a studio that everybody go to, mm-hmm. and get our record mixed and mastered. Or we can go over here to this dude that do mixing and mastering for a living, mm-hmm. who got, he did these four records that's on the radio. I'm going to the dude with the records on the radio before I go to Joe Blow. That's just but he two hundred dollars more, Tony. <laughs> Bro, we just got to save up and get it because if we don't get the people, if we don't get it. If we don't have the right quality, the folk at the radio not gonna play the music. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? That, that's just that's just what it is. And like, I'm the bruh, I'm the penny pinching this cat ever. <laughs> like, don't think that I run and. I look for the highest person to pay, but hey, man, I'm the penny pinching this cat ever. I'm running an experiment right now with Lander. Mm-hmm. You hip to Lander? Yeah, the uh, mastering. I'm running an experiment right now with Lander, and it don't look like it's working out too well, <laughs> but it only costed 40 bucks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I'm working an experiment with Lander on how well they do the mastering, even though I deal with the people at Bernie Grumman. They mastered Thriller at Bernie Grumman. Mm-hmm. I got a good relationship with them. But if I can avoid paying them all this money, I will. Mm-hmm. It just don't, <laughs> don't look, look like it. It. <laughs> it. don't look like it, man. But you know what? I think what the Lander offers, like, uh, with the music industry, like, I always compare it out west. Like, it's like the gold rush. <laughs> it's people getting rich selling shovels, not finding gold. Exactly, exactly bro. <laughs> selling shovels and bags. <laughs> and the simple thing yeah. getting rich. Like, uh, uh, yeah, exactly, man. Exactly, bro. And so, like, um, I got a funny story I can tell about that, but I'm going to say But, um, but yeah, like, it's just, with that, with that procedure, with that process, the quality is good. It's mm-hmm. just not great. Yeah. So you got to have great quality when you're at a certain platform. Yeah. And so, you know, it's we live and we learn, bro. Yeah. We live like it's not. I don't top the mistakes I make, but I make them every day. I mean, and you know what? This is the thing: is we don't tout them, but we do. We tout them through our successes because it's it's the successes that were built on all those mistakes. Exactly. And so it's like when we. And that's one of the things, like, I never lost money doing music. Never a dime. Right. But it was because of Wendy. Like, I read her blogs. Like, when I before I started, when I said I was going to do music, I downloaded my pirated Cakewalk Pro right. Audio. I was all on Rap Cointel Pro. Like, right. I was on all these and just soaking up and reading books. And I was like, okay, this shit got to make money. I'm not about to do that. Right. It's, it's, it's so crazy that, that people do this. Without a thought about making money, they feel like the yeah. money's gonna come, yeah. and that's the that's the worst type of attitude to have. Like if we just keep doing this, the money's gonna come. Yo, at least have an idea of how the money's gonna come and where and when it's gonna come. If you gotta defer getting paid, yeah, you know, if you gotta defer getting paid, now for a hustler from day one, like I told a cat the other day, he was amazed. Mm-hmm. We get I, I get my CDs from a guy. He's in Orlando. Mm-hmm. He charged me. $265, $265 for a thousand CDs and sleeves. And then I get my inserts from clubflyers.com. Mm-hmm. $14. We will blur all that out. They ain't paid for no advertising. They did not sponsor this. <laughs> well, let, 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 me, let me rephrase that. Nah, you good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so with all that, 
when I get my CDs, like mm-hmm. I pay, it's around, I pay around uh, uh, $1,500 for 5,000 CDs or, mm-hmm. or 3000 for 10,000 CDs. But I could get them at 100 a piece. You know, I get 100 at a time if I wanted to for 265 bucks, yeah. and then go get my inserts printed. But even at this at this rate, mm-hmm. if I get uh, 10,000 CDs printed, printed for three grand, I could take a thousand CDs and target the areas where I'm going to try to sell them for five dollars a piece, mm-hmm. and give away the nine thousand, mm-hmm. and still make a profit. I can have two grand to put in my pocket, mm-hmm. and three grand to order ten thousand more CDs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that I know that with these thousand CDs, I'm going to certain areas yeah. to, to because I, I'm not going to West End Mall trying to sell the CD for five dollars. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I know it's not going to get bought. Mm-hmm. But maybe at Georgia Tech, it might. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, you got to, even though that you got to, from from day one, when we taking these CDs and we giving them away, we got a certain amount allotted that we can sell. Now, yeah. I, I use the $5 example, but at the same time, what I often do is I take out 2500 and I sell to the bootleggers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I sell the bootleggers the CD at $1.50, $1.25. Now they got smart and hip to me. They want to sell. They want them for a dollar. Mm-hmm. But even at a dollar, I can take three thousand CDs, mm-hmm. supply all the bootleggers for a dollar a piece, get my three grand back, give away the other seven thousand, and order another ten thousand CDs. Mm-hmm. So that's just hustling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just like just keeping the money flowing in a way that allows but us to keep. It's working. not hustling. It's not. That's business. Like, and I think that's one of the things. Like we we use all these other terms, but it's just business. Like it's black and red ink. Like um, Travis from Strange Music told me, he applied business one hundred and one to the music industry, and that's how he got rich. Mm-hmm. And they made thirty five million dollars last year at Strange Music. Mm-hmm. They made that makes them. 125 million over four years. They did 30 million, 30 million, 30 million, and 35 million mm-hmm. from a dude who ran a furniture store. Mm-hmm. He didn't even have no, his, and he's a high school graduate. He didn't have no college education. He's just a dude that understands business and he applied business one on one to the music industry. And uh, and it just works. You know? And so his, his whole plan is, is, his whole objective is to present great music to people who love great music. Mm-hmm. And he believes that they'll buy it, and they do. You know, and, and so it's it's it is business. You know, I call it. I, I say it's hustling, but you're right. It's business. It's basic business, man. Mm-hmm. It's basic business. I think that's an excellent note to end this on. Like cool business, <laughs> cool business. So business. Where, where can everybody find you at? Follow you and whatnot. It's I am the connect. It's T H A. Connect, um, and it's IamTheConnect.com. Either way you choose to spell it, I was able to get that domain name finally. So it's but it's I A M T H A C O N N E C T on all social media, um, and IamTheConnect.com website. And my name is Tony Gidry for Facebook. Last name is G U I D R Y. Um, I do a lot. I go live a few times, um, spreading some good knowledge there. Um, but I'm going to actually be changing that over to my website here real soon. Now that I've built up a follower base, it's all business. <laughs> it's going to be for pay soon. But um, I'm going to continue to work with and, and deal with people and, 
If if you missed any other way of getting in contact with me, you can always get in contact with me through Making a Magazine. Uh, past couple issues. <laughs> I think your number in this one up yeah, under, uh, under, under troubles. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Appreciate you for coming through. Thank you for having and, me and sharing some knowledge with the people, man. Thank you. Bro. All right.